0: the halls of assembly you'll hear us scream and shout our love of indiana is manic and devout archie and his boys we discuss in unique manner we won't be satisfied until we hang on all the banner us two goofy guys go by names of and eric and as you probably know by now we're hoosier hysterics hoosier hysterics hoosier hysterics eric we got a new assistant coach what's that all about
1: Look, we kind of doubled down on us hoping that they would give Jamal Meeks a look, and he didn't get a look. But look, the decision's been made. Kenya Hunter is a professional uh, assistant coach who's been around some big programs and some big recruits from Georgetown to Xavier to NC State to, to now UConn, where they have a top 10 recruiting class. So I'll say what I said, I think, on our Reasonable Rabi episode. He's our guy now. I love him with everything I have. We're going to kiss his ass like nobody's business and hope that he comes on the show at some point. But, hey, man, I sent out a tweet that said, welcome to basketball heaven, and if you get us some recruits, we'll rename our children after you, all of them. So, like, that's where I'm at with him. I have – I I think it is ridiculous, even on the Pigs message boards, to read people tell us whether or not he's really good and here's why I really – other than snow or rabbi but we don't know we don't know so i'm just going to trust archie that he made a That's, good decision That's this it. is
0: the thing this is the thing this is archie miller this is a very smart very organized man
1: yeah the same guy who hired ed Schilling.
0: and uh had a lot of potential
1: I'm just saying, <laughs> we don't know. So let's, we're, it's, it's but, a leap of faith. You, you,
0: you just said leap of faith. faith in Archie. Yes, And then faith. when I was backing you up on that, then you shout all over it. So you just shout on your own logic. Yes, because it is faith.
1: It is literally the definition of faith. There is no evidence. I don't have evidence. It's just faith. So I am choosing to have faith. I'm not basing it in evidence.
0: Well, Kenya's got a lot more of a track record than Ed did, okay? Ed did a lot of developmental stuff with guys going to the pros inside the state. He was at UCLA for a minute. But Kenya's like a professional assistant. He goes from, you know, a Power 5 program to a Power 5 program and knows how it works.
1: Look, I love him. I'll I'll name my kid after him. I'll have a fourth kid and name him Kenya if he gets us some recruits. That's Feels all that matters. Feels
0: disingenuous. Feels disingenuous. No,
1: it it is not disingenuous to say, I just want to win. Mm-hmm. I just wanna win. So right. everybody went bonkers for Ed Schilling. Indiana ties, Keon Brooks's dad's coach, uh incredible skill development. Like everybody went crazy for him. He he sucked.
0: Not the hardest worker.
1: Maybe. I don't know, but
0: that's what I heard.
1: Okay. Maybe true. We love Bruiser. Still love Bruiser.
0: No, nope, nope. Dead to me.
1: Okay. Dead to you. Still love Brew, but he didn't bring us any out-of-state big talent.
0: You just wait. You just wait in two years when Jordan Geronimo is a lottery pick.
1: Phenomenal. But we lost every out-of-state battle. Geronimo was not a battle.
0: However you get him.
1: However you get him. Fine. I'm just saying he's got to get him. And if he gets him, we'll love him. Sure. Period. And we'll love him until he proves he can't get them. Maybe what he needs is what we have had since we started on this glorious website. Maybe Kenya needs to be powered
0: by P- Kenya. P- <laughs> P- Good. I like because what we're learning is Zoom has a very limited range of the siren call it can handle. And by throwing the Kenyan there, I think maybe you're opening a door to some other possibilities. Oh,
1: yeah. Haven't done that before. Some may say that that is not a true peak siren call. Some may say that that offends the integrity of what the Peague siren call is supposed to be. Some we will also say, just stop doing it altogether.
0: I'm wondering who the person is that feels that level of of integrity applies to the, the peak siren call. Because I feel the peak siren call is all about, I am not ashamed of anything.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that is an apt description of what that horseshit call is. So let's look. I'm excited to talk to this guy because... He was part of a really special team in the last 10 years and part of an era that got us from the lowest of the low to us feeling like we were back. And there's only a handful of guys that saw it at its absolute low and saw it, you know, in that 11-12 season. There's only a handful of those guys. I think there's only three scholarship players that lasted from Crean's first year to his fourth, and he is one of them. And we've talked to one other, but getting his perspective is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. We've talked about it for a while.
0: One quick thought I had, how many times we've thought, oh, it's over. Bob and I got fired. It's over. Oh, Mike Davis, we, we got to the championship game, beating Duke. We're back. Ah, oh, Mike Davis, he's not going to do it. And it's over. Hey, this Kelvin Sampson guy, he's pretty good. Wow, he's really good. we got Eric Gordon. Oh, my God, here we go. We're like top ten team. Oh, my God, it's over. Why can't he just hang up the phone? And here comes Tom Crean. Boy, this is brutal. This is brutal. What the hell? Oh, what shot? Oh, my God, we're back. Number one team in the country. Oh, lordy, lordy, we are back. Oh, it didn't work out. He wasn't that good. He couldn't get the guys in state anymore. So we're, this cycle is is getting kind of vicious. And I just hope, let's say this season is like, here we go, baby. We're back. We're a force to be reckoned with. No matter who you are and no matter where we're playing you, we can beat you tonight. Let's hope this is the season that that occurs and we don't stop thinking that until our kids have graduated Indiana University or longer. Amen. Power of positive thinking. Let's do this together.
1: Sure. Okay.
0: What? That's not going to do any good for us. That kind of attitude.
1: I I hope you're right, man. Don't
0: don't hope. Believe. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. All right.
1: Uh, (laughs) Let's move on and get to this guy's interview because he is awesome.
0: Cool. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of Hoosier Hysterics Nation, We've got one hell of a sharp shooter on the show today. Eric, get into some details of this assassin from beyond the arc.
1: We are talking to a gentleman today who resides or resided in Washington, Illinois, where he played for Washington Community High School. As a junior, he averaged over 20 points a game. All he did was shoot threes at a rate at 48% and hit 143 three-pointers. He was AP 2006-2007 Class 2A All-State First Team for Illinois. He was awarded second team honors by Chicago Tribune, third team by the Chicago Sun-Times. As a senior, he was named All-State. He became the Illinois State record holder for the most three-pointers made in a career. He took his team to the state finals for the first time since 1962. I mean, (laughs) 62. Ridiculous. Then he went on, of course, to Indiana University, where in 2012, he was the Big Ten leader in three-point percentage at 54.5, 54.5. I don't think we have anybody on the team who shoots twos at 54.5. He has the (laughs) second best all-time season three-point percentage at IU. He has the number one all-time, all-time percentage for Indiana in Big Ten games He shot 59.2% from three in Big Ten games. He went to the Sweet 16 in 2012. He's a 2011-2012 academic All-Big Ten award winner. Everyone, please welcome, simply put, one of the best shooters to ever play at Indiana University, and that is saying something, Matt Ross.
2: Thank you. Appreciate it, guys.
1: So before we get started, when you hear that kind of list of things going back to high school, and of course what you did at Indiana, is there one thing that that sticks out to you that, like when you're, you know, just laying down to sleep and you're like remembering the glory days? What's the one thing that really pops out to you?
2: Well, I think I think there's probably two. One dates back to the high school, just the uh, the achieving of the the state record um, and being able to maintain that and. Uh, every year it seems like a little bit longer that I've been out. And so it just, it sinks in that much more that there's a, a state record um, that, that's still under my name. Um, and then as far as the, the college side of things, um, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs of those four years. And so just the, the big 10 percentage um, of the just over 59% of um, it's just kind of an acclamation of everything that was four years of of learning a role, accepting my situation within the program and the team, and then ultimately just excelling at you know what my coaches and teammates needed me to do.
0: Now to follow up on Eric's question, now you've actually fallen asleep. Do you dream of making three pointers? Did you ever <laughs> actually dream of making three pointers?
2: Oh, well, I think you know over my lifetime and even uh, probably to today, there, there's definitely dreams of games either that you played in or never played in. Um, and, you know, there's there's moments, you know, I, one of the dreams that I've had since graduating is just a, a flashback to that Sweet 16 game. And, um, you know, it seems like you get to about the seven-minute mark and that's a, a wake-up point. And, <laughs> Good. and it just, you know, for a second you wake up and wonder, like, could it, you know, what could have been if we would have won that game. Um, that one definitely sticks with me. Um, and it's certainly a dream that, that does happen from time to time, um, you know, as, as I age.
1: So tell everybody what you're up to right now, Matt, before we get back into your, to your basketball story and how it landed in Indiana. Uh, what are you up to now? Uh, give us an update on the family, everything. We want to we wanna know what you're up to.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, my wife, Lindsay played basketball and volleyball at Indiana. Um, we met, obviously, there um, through the programs. Um, we've been married since 2013. We've got three little kids. Um, Hudson, our oldest, will be six here in September. Um, Balin's getting ready to turn four in November. And then uh, our little daughter, Carson, will be well, she'll be three in May, but she's already about fourteen, um in terms of in the house and uh she's just like her mom, which is gonna be trouble. Dude, you are in it. You are in the <laughs> middle
1: of just holy hell, half no fury, like three babies upset under the age of seven.
2: Yep. No, it's been it's been a handful of times, but uh definitely a blessing. They're they're all healthy, they're all um, you know, active and busy and uh trying to get them back into a routine after um, everything kind of shut down and in March they just you know kids thrive when they're in a routine and uh, we didn't really have a routine there for at least 10 weeks we had some layoffs at work and whatnot and so um, it was kind of chaotic and hectic but we're back into a routine which is good um, so family's doing great um, I work here in Fort Wayne at optimum performance sports it's a branch of Lutheran Hospital. Um, I'm a director of sports medicine, overseeing facility management scheduling, and then our basketball academy um, here in Fort Wayne. I've been here since late in 2014, um, so longer than what it seems like, but uh, it's fun. It keeps me around sports, and uh, it keeps me around athletes of all ability levels, so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun.
0: You're rocking that Mad Ants shirt, which we can see here over the Zoom. The listeners yep. can't, but that looks sharp. I don't know if I've ever heard of another couple, one on the men's team, one on the women's team, meeting, getting married, having children. Do you know of any other case of that happening?
2: Uh, Not necessarily in Indiana. I think it's happened. Uh, there's just some various players that i played against in terms of, of – uh, Big Ten play. I think Stu Douglas, who was at um, at Michigan, ended up marrying a a girl who played at Michigan as well. We we, we don't care about them.
1: We don't <laughs> no. care. We don't give a damn about them.
2: Um, but <laughs> as far as Indiana goes, I I don't personally know of any. Uh, but you know, if we dig through it, I'm sure we can find a situation somewhere along the way. Oh, it's exceptional.
1: The closest thing I can think of is when Colin Hartman proposed to the girl, and that didn't go well. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, Obviously everybody's adapting in this, this age of COVID. How did you and your wife structure grooming them into the next generation of great Indiana shooters?
2: Sure. I mean, I think, you know, with anything we're doing with them, regardless of sport, we have them in as many things as we can. Um, And obviously there's been a lot of restrictions and seasons canceled and there's some sports that I hate a little bit more than others, but we try and, we try and let them experience it all. Um, and the biggest thing for them is we both, Lindsay and I both look back at that our youth, um, we just absolutely love sports. We love playing an array of sports. I mean, I I can go back to, I remember loving track in middle school. Like nobody loves track. It's no. running. Um, the older <laughs> I get, the more I hate it. But, you know, we want them to be engaged. We want them to be active. But we want them to enjoy it. We want them to have fun, kind of pick and choose then as they age, kind of what their niche is going to be. Um, so just trying to keep them active, um, change up the routine with them. So some days we might, you know, play wiffle ball and do a lot of baseball, softball type activities um, and then turn around and, and mix in soccer, basketball. Um, you know, nature of the beast with three kids with two very active parents is that they're non stop from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed, so um, we just tried to to put them in situations where they could it'd be active engaged in something um, school daycare those type of things were shut down for them so um, there's a lot of of gaps we needed to try and fill and thankfully Lindsay you know her focus area in college before she got into administration was education um, so nice. she can uh, she can do the math, science, social studies. I don't need to worry about that stuff anymore. <laughs>
1: you just, you do the PE.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and I think we both find different different levels. Um, we I've been an assistant coach at times um, since graduating. and She's been a head coach, won a state championship in volleyball. Um, and so there's a little bit of a perspective difference in patience level um, with young kids where, she wants them to be detailed all the way through a full practice plan. And, and I'm just hoping that we can remember everybody's name at a practice. (laughs) And and so there's, there's some fun things where we can work together and and kind of tag team things. But, uh, um, it's fun. The kids love it. They all kind of are finding their niche and what sports they absolutely love. And, um, you know, trying to convince them, you know, my oldest, I think, broke Lindsay's heart because um, he didn't believe she played basketball oh. um, because all the pictures we had up were of her college volleyball career. Um, and so we had to do a little digging to find some pictures of her playing basketball so she could have her credibility back.
1: <laughs> I We would usually save this for the end, but it's fresh on my mind. I, I assume you've watched some of the NBA playoffs that have been going on uh, over the last couple of <laughs> yeah. weeks. Um, when I watch Damian Lillard shoot 40-foot three-pointers or what Luka Doncic did on Sunday, where he just single-handedly willed his team to win on these, like, step-back rainbow threes, Mm -hmm. it just makes no sense to me. I mean, I'm a guy who, you know, doesn't understand how that's even possible physically to shoot the way they do. You are somebody who shot at an elite level. I mean, really, the most elite of the elite. When you're watching guys like that, does it get you pumped up? Like, what is running through your head when you watch guys like Dame and and Luca do what they're doing now behind the three-point line?
2: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, I, obviously, with having my hands on a basketball academy here, um, I love watching those type of guys and, and picking and choosing things from what they do um, and then simplifying them so we can implement them with, you know, high school-age kids, college-level kids in the summer, Um, And then ultimately our youth kids in terms of how they handle the ball and and the rhythm that they can develop with the ball and the comfort. So watching those guys, um, it's incredible. Um, You know, we joke often with our staff, you know, when we play pickup again, like I'm going to shoot a 40-footer just to see if I can do it. You know, when when the the one that truly, uh, truly amazed me was a single shot. It was uh, Devin Booker at the end of a shot clock, lost his dribble all the way out near the half court line. Um, and shot faked and then proceeded to shoot what looked like a normal jump shot. Um, and so naturally, we all wanted to try that. On our floor, we have a, an NBA standard floor for the Mad Ants here um, that they utilize for practice. So we all tried it and just, uh, you know, as somebody who could shoot from distance and, and behind the line very well, that some of those shots are just silly. Um, you just laugh, you shake your head. Um, and so you can kind of relate to some of the reactions you see from the opposing players um, and just the disbelief when they do what those guys have been doing consistently here in the bubble.
0: And and can you explain the evolution of the three-pointer in that? I think of when the first guy broke the four-minute mile Yeah, and then everybody realized that could be done. Now, not to discredit, and this is something you have expertise in, advances in the science of sports and training and nutrition yeah. and all that good stuff. But how much is it that and how much is it Steph Curry just starts launching them from beyond 30 feet on a regular basis. And then everybody else says, Oh, we can do that. And it's, yeah. it's more of a mental change rather than a physical one. Cause it's not like guys back in the seventies were that much weaker that they couldn't yeah. get the ball to the hoop.
2: Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, I think you see the influence of just the way the games changed in general, um, and part of that is the players. Um, But, you know, growing up during the 90s, um, you know, you would see, you know, the John Pax and Steve Kerr, you know, the the dead-eye shooters, um, but they were always hugging that line. Oh, you know, they were spacing the floor. The majority of the guys were, you know, mid-range jump shots. Um, being an Illinois guy watching the Bulls I mean Jordan made a living you know Kawhi now makes a living in the mid-range game um, but then I think between the, the the trickle down of kids watch you know they watch the NBA right now um, and so at a younger age you have kids who are being you know influenced by you know seeing Steph Curry by seeing Damian Lillard and, and Luca and and all these guys who shoot the three at such an incredible rate you know Clay Thompson's of the world and and they gravitate towards doing that. You know, when I grew up in the 90s, I would see Jordan and Pippen dunking. And, and that would be my dream of, you know, hey, I want to do that, you know, free throw line dunk on a mini hoop even. And <laughs> so it's just a – it's a shift. And, uh, and so you definitely see it. Um, and then when you couple that with just the influence of analytics in the game, um, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that's always amazed me when you get to the, the high-level college um, – the percentage of offensive rebounds that come off of a three versus a two. um, It's a staggering difference in my opinion. I mean, you're talking a difference of three, four or five possessions throughout a game. Um, That's a big deal. If you can settle for a three, knowing that your offensive rebound rate is higher, um, which means you ultimately could gain more possessions. I mean, it's, it's an analytics game and the NBA is, you know, they thrive off of those analytics. And so, um, and I think that's why you've seen that shift at the at the top down. Um, and ultimately, you know, at the youth level, they all want to do what those pro guys are doing. They all want to take that big shot. They're, I mean, I, I officiate high school basketball, and I'm sure we're going to see a lot of step-back threes if we can play, um, and a lot of deep threes just because that's what the kids have been seeing right now. So that's what they gravitate towards.
1: So let's go back. You mentioned growing up and watching the Bulls and players like that and Paxson and Kerr. But let's go back to your childhood. Tell us you know what it was like growing up in Washington, Illinois, and how you found the game of basketball.
2: Yeah, I mean i I grew up out just outside of Washington um, and you know had a baseball field almost as a yard. you know it was a little small as we got older, but as a youth, it was great. We had a basketball court in the driveway and um, that was just kind of the expectation. We would get up, get our day started in the summer. Um, and we'd spend our whole day. I've got three younger siblings, uh, two sisters and a brother. Um, and so we would, you know, make up games. We'd be playing one-on-one, two-on-two, shooting games. Um, and it just was overly active outside with sports. Um, you know, played a ton of, of basketball. Uh, played a ton of Fisher-Price basketball with the friends on the patio. and
1: I was good at that. I, I could do that. I could hold my own on Fisher-Price basketball. It was the real court that got in the
2: way. Yep. No, it, and so it was – it was just a lot of time outside and I was a kid who um, I think like a lot of youth, I was influenced by what I would see. So I would spend a lot of time in the driveway watching a game and then come outside and, and kind of work on a move that I saw or work on a particular shot that I would see throughout the course of the game. And um, it just was, it was one of those things I fell in love with it Uh, between baseball and basketball. um, You know, there was a, a hundred percent chance I was doing one, if not both of those daily. Um, And, you know, then dad would get home from work and you'd beg him to rebound, play one-on-one, or, you know, pitch to you, hit fly balls, all that kind of stuff. And so looking back, you know, and now that I have kids, you know, I want them, you know, when I get home from work, there's a lot of days I want to sit down and, you know, relax, kick my feet up. But then when they want to go outside and and shoot hoops in the driveway or, you know, go down to the park and, you know, hit baseballs and and all that kind of stuff, those were those opportunities that I had and I definitely want to make sure I pass it along. And, uh, and then as I got to high school, it was, you know, we had a new coach, a phenomenal high school coach um, came in. And so it would be, you know, lifting open gyms almost every day, six days a week usually um, where we had opportunity to be in the gym and the weight room. And um, it just, it was one of those kind of you just fall in love with it and fell in love with the weight room, fell in love with being in the gym um you know didn't have to worry about it you know before the age of cell phones i didn't have a lot of distractions mm. um, i don't think cell phones were really a, a huge hit until my junior year when we would we finally caved in and got some
1: do you remember um, wait do you remember what your first cell phone was
2: it was uh i, I don't know the exact model but it was the Nextel walkie talkie yeah uh, <laughs> the first phone was my dad
1: <laughs> yep. yeah and uh, i remember those that was
2: the first phone yep so, I still remember it um probably it may still be alive somewhere at my parents' house. it's hard to say
0: <laughs> do you remember the first game moment conversation where you realized you were you were exceptional at basketball and that it it held promise for you beyond the normal course of events for kids like me and Eric who grow up playing it, but then quickly realize that there is no future for us.
2: <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think when it, when it first kind of hit home um, when I grew up, I always played in the summer with a, a group of guys who was a year older than me. Um, so they were all going to be freshmen in high school. And I was going to be an eighth grader. Um, we were at Illinois state for a team camp and we played um, a, a team that was a, a small school, but uh, you know, a state level contender um, in Illinois, nonetheless, um, in their two class system at the time, and um, came out and scored somewhere like upper 40s in a, in a game there. And, and that was before there were really rules. And I, I didn't think a thing of it until the person coaching us, you know, after the game was like, hey, do you know that's Illinois State's entire coaching staff watching our game? And I was like, uh, no, not really. Why? Like, cool. Like, I, you know, I didn't think <laughs> anything of it. I mean, I just knew I loved playing the game. We had a great, you know, group of guys that were, you know, best friends, but also really talented players uh, and just kind of went out and competed. And then um, maybe the only other one that really stuck with me when I was young was, um, you know, as an eighth grader breaking the, the middle school record for points, um, which had been held by Todd. Todd Foster, who played at, at Purdue. Uh,
1: oh, I'm glad you beat that. That's good.
2: Todd was a – he was a mentor um, and family friend of my dad's. And uh, and so passing him carried weight just because I was raised knowing what he had accomplished. Sure. Um, not fully grasping it, but understanding, you know, he went to Purdue, he, you know, Big Ten, you know, won Big Ten championships. And, and that obviously, you know, like growing up in Indiana, growing up in Illinois, I mean, it's Big Ten – you know, hundred percent, and so there's a lot of weight to that. So,
1: I'm curious. You know, the, this would have been when you were probably middle school or en- just entering high school. But the last Final Four team for Indiana was the 2002 team that that played Maryland in the title game. That yep. team, with the of course having Jared Jeffries, who's uber talented, and and guys like that. But it was filled with guys who could fill it up. You know, you had yep. Kyle Hornsby and Tom Coverdale and Dane Fife. And I mean, everybody was shooting threes did Do you remember that team at all because you could almost see Matt Roth playing on that team and filling it up uh you know four out one in and just lighting it up i 'm just curious if that team meant anything to you as a kid
2: yeah it, it did um, and it's funny you, you bring up that particular group i and i don 't remember if it was that exact year if it was a year before or after, um, but they played a game at assembly hall um And they played Illinois, who I believe was ranked number one or two at the time um, and made 18, Indiana made 18 or 19 threes in the game and won.
1: It was that year.
2: And so I I remember not only that game, just kind of striking me of, holy cow, those guys can shoot. Um, You know, that was really fun to watch. Um, But then too, growing up in Illinois, I knew how good Illinois was because we would, you know, you would see them more frequently. Um, and so that game kind of stands out in my mind. And then, you know, obviously the, uh, the game against Duke um, and, and A.J.'s block mm. uh, were just, you know, kind of iconic Indiana moments in my mind. Um, and then, you know, pair that up with a, a Peoria guy in A.J. Guyton. Yes. Uh, who was a, a very prominent player in, in Illinois. Um, and then just kind of following. And, and I can remember sitting and reading the Peoria Journal-Star And some of the articles about him and his time there, um, and I just you know kind of fell in love with following him. I actually wore 25 for a period of time in in middle school, uh, just due to you know the AJ kind of effect on uh, on me. Um, And then obviously getting to know AJ, you know, as I progressed into my career, um, I've got a ton of respect for what he's done and what he's continuing to do. Just being around youth in the game.
0: Did you have a particular program that was your team before it obviously became Indiana?
2: Uh, I mean, Illinois, I mean, kind of Illinois was, uh, my dad was a diehard Illinois guy. Um, And and so I always gravitated towards them, but I I fell in love with the the Saturday, Sunday CBS games. You know, it it might be Kentucky. It might be Arizona Um, just watching the way those teams played. Um, They all had shooters. They all had, you know, high-level professional players on their roster. Um, Andre Iguodala was another Illinois guy who I had seen play in high school as a youth and then obviously, mm-hmm. you know, followed him to Arizona um, just as a fan, just watching. So um, it definitely was an Illinois kid growing up um, until the recruiting process and everything. And, and then at that point, you throw out those allegiances and uh, – um, and that was hard because I loved them. I mean, they had a great squad. That the national runner-up team was mm-hmm. uh, a really fun group of guys to get to know as a recruit. Um, but then when you know push comes to shove, you know, you know now it's hard to, to be a big uh, big supporter of theirs. But yes, uh, growing up it was it was different. So
1: did you, you mentioned Curran Paxson. And clearly you were – the dream of being the high-fly free-throw dunker uh, quickly dissipated, I would imagine, and being the long-range sniper, uh, long sniper came in. Was there a guy that you looked at like, that's the guy? And even, like, did you pattern your shot after somebody? Were you trying to emulate anybody in
2: particular? Uh, I mean, as far as as my shot, I don't think I tried to emulate it to anybody. It was, I mean, honestly, just kind of a natural um, – you know, I, my parents still have a picture from when I was two, you know, with, you know, perfect form, elbow tucked in. And and so I think a lot of that was just natural. It just, it was comfortable. I, I don't remember, I, my brother, I can remember them fighting with him on getting his elbow in, getting his hand under the ball. And I don't remember having any of those type of things, but certainly growing up, you know, a diehard Chicago sports guy, you know, seeing Paxton hit the three against the Suns. Uh, I mean, that was a shot I emulated a million times in the driveway. Sure. And and then, obviously, you know, with getting a little bit older, you know, Kerr and that that second three-peat, um, just kind of watching him, watching how he played. Um, and as I got older, I think the realization of, you know, that was going to be my role and that was going to be something that I could excel at. Um, and then just, you know, kind of gravitating towards watching the shooters, watching, you know – the CBS game with Arizona, Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, whoever was playing, you know, watching those wings, watching those shooting guards and, and picking up on things. And, and I just uh, had an eye for the game and, yeah. and could take it and then take it out into the driveway for me and, and find a way to implement it into to my game.
0: So you mentioned your parents were obviously influential in the development or at least the encouragement of your game. Uh, but you also mentioned – Your great high school coach. So I was hoping you'd talk a little bit about how he helped you develop into the player you were to become, and talk a little bit about that magical run to the uh, the state championship.
2: Yeah, no, um, I mean it was it was a perfect situation. You know, we had a coaching change as I was coming into high school. Um, They hired a a guy, Kevin Brown, uh, who's a a Hall of Fame coach now, uh, who you know unfortunately passed away with the brain cancer battle. just over a year and a half ago. Um, and, and so he came in right as I was coming in and coming in, like I knew we had, what well, we had four middle schools in, in Washington alone that fed into our high school. Um, and so I knew there was nobody in my class that could compete with me. Um, but then coming into a high school program who had been successful, I think they won 18 or 19 games the year before and had, Great size. I mean, not many. We had 6'10", 6'9", 6'9", were our three bigs. And then (laughs) uh, we had a a 6'6", you know, kind of defensive guy that could play. Um, And then our point guard, myself, and a couple of other, you know, shooting guard type people. Um, And I can remember coming into that summer playing in open gym and just physically just getting abused by some of these guys. I mean, Washington had always been a respected basketball program, but football was kind of the identity. Um, And so a lot of these guys have been in the weight room for three years and they were just chomping at the bit to beat me up. And and so that first (laughs) summer, um, that first summer was tough. You know, we played in in one shootout because of the coaching change. And uh, I think we played Peoria High, who was coming off of back to back state championships with Sean Livingston and still had a core of those guys back and they just, physically just beat us up and and I wasn't ready at that point but he uh, you know coach brown just he just refused to let me not be a part of it um, mm. you know and I can remember you know I just talked to the team over a Zoom call a couple weeks ago first week of tryouts you know I'd been in, in the varsity open gyms all summer first week of tryouts the only way you could go into the locker room was if you'd been on the team the year before so I had to change over in the, in the freshman locker room all by myself, nobody else over there, go through practice, you know, until that final day came. I can remember the first day getting all the way to the last sprint of the first day of varsity tryouts and just physically I couldn't do it. I couldn't even, you know, run the sprint and make the time. And I can remember walking off kind of defeated and, and Coach Brown just came over and, he, and he asked just what happened. I just said, I hit a wall and I couldn't get through it. He's like, well, I promise you that'll be the last time that ever happens. And, and from that day forward, it it never happened. He challenged me physically, mentally, emotionally, um, to become a leader. Um, And and ultimately, you know, I think maybe came off the bench my first eight games as a freshman and, and averaged about 14 a game. Um, And then called me into his office and, And called our point guard, who was a sophomore in, and, you know, he's like, hey, I just want to talk to you guys. He's like, I haven't unpacked my house. You know, they just closed on their house, which at the time didn't mean anything to me. But he's like, all my stuff's in a box. And uh, he goes, you know the history of our program? You know, we don't play underclassmen. We certainly don't start underclassmen. He goes, I'm going to start both of you tomorrow night. And so basically if it goes south, he's like, I'll just pack my bags and leave (laughs) because And, and I can remember looking at my point guard, who was a sophomore. And he'd been one of those kids who I'd always played up, up with. Uh, and Nick uh, Nick was that guy. You know, he's 5'10". But if anybody so much as crossed me on the court, came at me on the court, I mean, he would – he'd take himself out of the game to make sure he took care of a problem. And so I knew he had my back. And uh, so we went to our holiday tournament and, you know – not many people outside of a handful knew that I was going to be in the, in the starting lineups and played a team from Texas. I, I can't even remember the name of the team. Um, ended up losing in double overtime, and I think I had 28 or 29 in the game, and it just it just clicked. And from there, we went from a, a team that was struggling to find our identity and and ended up for the first time, I think I and it could be wrong, but I think it was the first time in the history of the state tournament a team outside of Peoria won the Peoria sectional. Um, and we, and we ended up beating, you know, Peoria high, who was the two time defending state champs. Um, and then Peoria Richwoods who had uh, Jamar Smith and uh, Bill Cole, who both ended up being Illinois guys, um, Illinois recruits. And we we were able to beat them in back-to-back games to win that sectional for the first time. And, and from there, it just, you know, that high school program, it, it was, uh, All-in mentality, it was was tough. There was a ton of accountability from the players. There was no, you know, no missing open gym. It was a college program in a lot of ways. You know, you couldn't miss a summer open gym. And if you did, you had to deal with the players before you had to deal with the coaches. Um, And it was just, uh, it turned Washington into the place to be. You know, our open gyms went from Washington-only kids to we had guys coming from everywhere because they were good and they wanted to play against the best. Um, and so it just created a, a super, super competitive atmosphere and, and ultimately, you know, spiked the, a change there. I think we went, you know, somewhere around 54, 56 wins and four losses over my four years in the conference. <laughs> um, and and just it just changed basketball there. And, and, you know, I think that freshman year when we won the conference started a string of, I, I believe it's 10 consecutive conference championships there. Oh, um, and just uh, just change the culture. So
1: when you did get to the state championship game, which, I mean, it's just a dream for anybody who's played basketball, walk us through just dealing with making it almost to the peak of the mountaintop and just coming up a little short. Is that something that sticks in your craw and you've had to kind of deal with your whole life? Or, or were you able to, to kind of compartmentalize it and move on?
2: Um, I, I think I've been able to, you know, put it kind of in a, on a back burner. I don't know if it's dead yet, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I grew up, you know, blessed the, the state championship was in Peoria from the time I was born, um, you know, until I believe this year, they're moving it to Champaign again. Wow. Um, and so you could go and watch that state tournament. And I can remember you'd walk into the experience, which is kind of, you know, the kids hangout area, you go play games and, and compete, you can win prizes. Well, right when you walk in that door, right there, they have got the state championship trophy. And, I mean, you can go right up to it. I mean, and I just – I can remember just as a kid, you know, just kind of dreaming about every time, every year you walk in there and that, I just can remember, you know, I, we need one of those. Hmm. You know, and uh, so it was tough, you know, getting to state finals. Uh, you know, and we were close all four of my years. And, and probably, honestly, my junior year team was – we got upset by Peoria Richwoods with uh, Bill Cole, um, who went to Illinois, and, and uh, another guy who went to Furman, a shooting guard. And and they were talented as could be, but and kind of our arch rival um, in the state tournament. And uh, had we got by then, we would have had a chance to, to get back to that state title um, level. And so it kind of surprised a lot of people my senior year. We weren't picked. I don't even think we were picked to win the conference my senior year. Um everybody thought we we had one returner um that played and that was me who played any varsity minutes. Oh wow. Um, and so we had a lot of new guys, a lot of guys who have been a part of it, a lot of glue guys that had been behind the scenes. Um and then we had a kid who transferred in um uh, because he'd seen us play when he was watching us in the state tournament and
0: it's like that's where I gotta
2: go. And uh so he transferred in and that helped and he ended up blossoming into a phenomenal point guard. Um, ended up moving on and going to bradley and, and was a all valley type player for bradley um, and so that definitely helped the we did uproad you know uphill road the whole way um, that state finals i think we beat three consecutive rounds of opponents who had an illinois recruit on their roster um, and then we got to that state finals and and anything could happen and, and we played a chicago marshall team who had a ton of talent and size and, and we didn't have the size. I was our biggest player um, in terms of height. Um, And we kind of took them by surprise and, and they couldn't guard us. Uh, You know, they were certainly the better athletic uh, or better athletes and had a lot more athleticism, but they just couldn't, they couldn't match up to our discipline and our ball movement and screening. And, and, and I forget, you know, how much we got up in the first half and then they ended up coming back and, and they held the ball on us. Um, which in the the state tournament, you know, does happen, but usually it's not the more athletic team that's holding the ball.
1: No kidding. So
2: Mm -hmm. we're sitting there and we're like, okay, well, you know, it's a, it's a one point game. You know, we know if we get the ball back, we can execute any of our actions and and score. Is it worth, you know, potentially getting exposed and not being able to guard them by coming out and fully pressuring and, and, it was just, it was kind of opposite of what you would ever see in the, in the state tournament. And uh, so it caught us by surprise. And we got down to the, the end of the game. It was back and forth and we cut it to one or two and then they made their free throws. I think, you know, they were 10 or 12 free throws in a row without a miss and wow. we just couldn't quite get over the hump. And, uh, you know, definitely uh, tough, tough to swallow that loss, but um, you know, the nice thing, you know, in, in the state final system there, they've got, the consolation game and everything. Um, and so you got another opportunity to go out and compete and and walk away from it. And it just, it kind of was a springboard to head off to college. Um, you know, we made it there. We didn't get to check off winning that state title. Um, but, you know, to get there and then the older I get and I realize that you know it was i forget somewhere in the 60s the last time they were in the state finals 62
1: 1962 62,
2: and, and then 2008 and they haven't been back um and they've had some super, super talented teams with you know and it's just it's tough to do um Very. we see it every year here in Indiana it's it's just it's a challenge um and so it is a special year and and, and certainly one that that all cherish but um I'm not willing to say it's, it's completely dead that it doesn't haul. Me
0: <laughs> you mentioned going off to college, but when you start as a freshman in high school and your first game getting 28, 29 points, I have to imagine the idea of playing in college occurred to you much earlier than your senior year. When did you start to hear from schools and who were the real contenders among the, uh, the colleges to, to win your favor?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I think you go back to even that, that team camp when I was in middle school still at Illinois State. Um, I think, you know, it became a blimp on their radar. Um, and, and so once I got to high school, um, Kevin Brown, who was my coach, um, prior to um, coming to Washington had a kid. He was out in Colorado uh, who ended up playing at Illinois State. So he was very familiar with their staff. Um, and so they were, they were heavily involved from probably three-fourths of the way through my freshman year. Um, on, Um, and then, you know, just the nature of Central Illinois and the Missouri Valley, um, Bradley jumped in about as soon as as they realized Illinois State might be ahead of them on something, Um, and and from there, I mean, those two, I mean, because I was right in the middle, I mean, I was 20 minutes from Bradley and 30 minutes from Illinois State. Uh, Those two fought, you know, tooth and nail for me um, the whole time, Um, And and honestly, Illinois, they both had great staffs. And uh, Illinois State, their head coach was Porter Mosier, um, who is at Loyola now. Um, And they were were in a situation where the university put a timeline on them to win um, and make the tournament, and they missed that deadline. And so when they blew up their staff, um, you know, their staff went all over. Porter went to be associate for Rick Majerus at St. Louis. um, And then St. Louis jumped in real hard and aggressive to recruit me. Um, and then Bradley, you know, they had Jim West, who is a Hall of Famer at Bradley um, as their coach. And and so it kind of came down to those two. And, and the Big Ten schools were always in the kind of in the background. Um, you know, IU, Purdue. Um, IU jumped in my junior year when I started playing for Indiana Elite um, in the AAU circuit. Uh, Illinois had recruited me really heavily early in my high school career, and then when Weber came in, they really backed off and became distant. Um, and then there was just, you know, outside interest from uh, uh, Wisconsin, Northwestern, uh, Iowa was in the mix and there, Notre Dame, um, and it just, it became just a process of getting it down, and I got to where I had five schools that I felt pretty good about, um, and then went on a couple campus visits, was able to eliminate two of them, and. I had it down to to IU, Bradley, and then St. Louis. Um, And just kind of processed through I spent a lot of time. My high school coach was – he was phenomenal because he was so close to the coaches, but he also was not afraid to play devil's advocate. So after going to an open gym or a campus visit, I can remember driving back and either being on the phone with him or in the car with him a lot of times. Um, And just going through the – you know, the what-ifs and, you know, with St. Louis, the what-ifs if there's health complications and, you know, Majerus isn't there during your career, you know, what happens. And, um, and Bradley, they had a, a new athletic director come in and just kind of got a really weird vibe from them as a high school kid that I didn't think much of at the time. Um, but the, the new AD, she and, and the basketball coaches didn't get along. Um, and, and they were gone, I think, after my freshman year. And so looking at things as I was getting ready to commit, you know, Indiana, here they are top 10 in the country, you know, Samson, he's won in Oklahoma. You know, he's got some, you know, baggage issues, but he's a phenomenal person. You know, he was, he was very upfront, very honest and and his staff, you know, coach Meyer, uh, coach Dockage were, you know, as, as truth telling as they have ever been in my recruiting process, I just felt like, you know, they had a, a great thing going there and, there wasn't really anywhere they were going to move on to willingly. Um, yeah. and so I felt really comfortable about the program. Um, loved getting to know, you know, some of the core group of guys, the DJ Whites, um, Eric Gordon, the Stimlers um, of the world. They, they just they made it a point in, in letting me know that it was a good fit. They thought it would be a good fit based off of just who I was, the style of play, the, the way I played the game. You know, they thought it'd be a home run fit. Um, And then Coach Sampson had a great, you know, approach for how he wanted me to play the game within their system. Um, They modeled a lot of their stuff off of what Florida was doing and and their back-to-back national championship teams. Um, And so I felt like it was a great opportunity for me. And, and it, you know, it filled one of those ultimate check boxes that made it, you know, one I could check off of playing in the big 10. That was a childhood dream. And, And so it, it made it made sense and and so it was kind of a no-brainer then to to let those other two schools know that it it wasn't going to be them
1: so to back up for a second though because you clearly grew up an illinois fan your dad was an illinois guy that's meaningful we don't like bruce weber we don't like anybody that isn't indiana by the way but anyway yeah so when that happens when that coaching change comes and they're recruiting you before and was it self who was recruiting you was he yeah. Yeah. So Self is recruiting you. He leaves. Here comes Weber crying all the time. Whiny, just <laughs> annoying as hell. Probably probably whined to you when he told you. Well, I don't know. But did that piss you off? I mean, did that give you extra motivation to I mean, I know me and it's like if I had the chance to play for the school that is the next door neighbor of the school who rejected me in some way. I would, that would be it. It'd be like, yes, I'm going there to show you. Did any of that figure in, or do you really have to just take a, a much more mature approach to it?
2: Uh, I mean, I think it definitely fueled, you know, the fire as I was playing through the high school years, you know, there's always the question, well, you know, what about Illinois? It's like, well, what about you asked them that question? Yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. Kind of approach. And, and so, um, and then, obviously, playing—you know—that was a very heated rivalry, just due to the Eric Gordon, you know, situation yeah. and everything that transpired there. And, and yes. then the game in Champagne that year, and um, you know, it was just—it was one of those, you know, kind of odd and and just weird situations. And so I, you know, especially my senior year, I played very well against them in our game, um, and we played them one time that year. We played them in Bloomington and played really well and and uh was able just kind of to check that one off the list and uh and kind of be able to move on from it and and feel good about it i
1: I am curious because you you're a really intelligent guy you we know that you're academic all big 10 um you, you seem to have a mature approach to everything at an early age and even the way you were kind of looking at the schools that you were picking like you know, Bradley had the change with the AD, and St. Louis had Rick Majerus, who, you know, what if there were some health problems? Kelvin, even at the time that you committed, th- there was some buzz about the bad stuff going on at Indiana. It hadn't escalated to the point of, we got to get rid of him, obviously. But yeah. but even coming in, there was that. Did that figure in at all? Were you, or did they just do a good job convincing you that was all behind them?
2: Uh, I mean, they... I don't know that they necessarily convinced one way or the other. Um, they just, they were very upfront about it. They addressed it. Um, you know, they, they were working on it. You know, they, you know, they also, you know, weren't afraid to tell me that, you know, it's not just here. It happens that, you know, happens more places than you think. We're, we're really working on it. We've got a couple, you know, a handful of, you know, situations we're trying to move forward from. Um, and, and it just, you know, it came down to, feeling really comfortable with their staff and the role they they had for me. And then, you know, some of the guys that were coming in and that potential class, um, you know, Tom Pritchard, who ended up being with me at IU, but then we had Devin Ebanks, who at the time Devin and I got to know each other a little bit. And, you know, he was coming from a completely different background than me, but we were, at the end of the day, we just wanted to compete. And so we got Mm -hmm. along really well.
1: And then that other kid that went to Xavier, right, Hollowell or Holloway? Yep. The, point guard. So,
2: yep, the point guard coming in. Um, and so I just – it was a great class. You know, they needed they needed what I could bring in terms of my role. Um, and they didn't really have a plan to uh, to do anything the year after me with recruiting. You know, DJ mm. Bird was kind of the top in-state guy, and, and they just – they were willing to roll with me if I was willing to, to go there. And so, uh, you know, that was reassuring that, hey, they're not bringing a guy in right after me. Right to compete with me in my role, and so it just it seemed like a great fit. Again, there's a part of me growing up in Big Ten country that just wanted to check that off, and the way my high school coach was mentored and raised in the coaching world was, you know, the Bob Knight school of coaching, yeah. and so there was there was some level of just appreciation for what that program had achieved that that I wanted to be a part of,
0: and then. It all gets blown up. Yeah, because you committed in in August, right, of your senior year.
2: Yeah, so right at the start of the school year, yep.
0: And
1: then it all goes
0: to hell. A few months later, the news comes down. How do you take that news, hear that news, and then when's the first time you hear from uh, the new sheriff who's coming to town?
2: Um, Well, I heard from, you know, athletic department, athletic director first. Um, Still remember it was spring – right towards the end of um right towards the end of the basketball season for high school level Um, and I could still remember getting the phone call um from the university Um, I think it was probably maybe the same day shortly after or shortly before the press conference who
1: called you was it Rick Greenspan
2: uh at first it was it would have been like the secretary type person of the athletic department, and then right. I spoke with Greenspan just briefly uh, just to kind of notify me of the news that was coming. Um, I think at first, you know, they, they really just told they were reviewing things that, you know, that I think Dockage was going to coach the initial couple games, and, and then it just kind of spiraled out of control from there and um, really left me not sure, you know, what to do. Um, as a high school kid, I was set – Like that was where I was going. It was late in the basketball season. You know, I'm gearing up for two or three months. I'm moving into college. Um, and then there's a coaching change, and you just – you peek at the, the recruiting realm. And Bradley, scholarships are all full. They've, got them, they've oh. got them all signed. So now it's like, okay, well, mine probably number two isn't on the table. St. Louis is full. So then it's like, okay, well, what – what other options are there? Um, and so I actually went to Illinois State on a visit um, with their new staff and just really didn't get a good feeling from the coach. And, and so it became, well, let's just hold out. Let's see what Indiana is going to do. What direction are they going? Because for the first you – and know, I can't remember. It's been too long. But, you know, there was a handful of, of games there with, with Dockage and the NCAA tournament loss to Arkansas um, where the, you know, you didn't know what direction they were going to go. Were they going to, you know, if they did hire Dockage, you know, that probably wouldn't change a whole lot at all. Cause I, I had a great relationship with him even to this day, you know, there's a mutual respect there. And, um, I just kind of waited it out, waited. And then, uh, Marquette had recruited me, um, a little bit, not fully. Um, so I was familiar with, with, uh, Tim Buckley a little bit, um, just from the recruiting world and
1: the shop doctor?
2: Had a great, great visit. Uh, one of the things that I think really helped me feel comfortable was um, they hired uh, Brian Baroni um, as kind of a special assistant. And Brian had been on Illinois State staff um, mm-hmm. that had recruited me for four years. And so there's a level of comfort with him and trust with him where, you know, I could rely on him a little bit um, to navigate through some of of those things. And then by that point, I had, I mean, I had fallen in love with Indiana and the program, the school, the campus. Um, And so it was, it was going to be hard for me not to want to be there.
1: Got it. So this is a little bit of a delicate question, but what the hell is what we do here? (laughs) So Kelvin Sampson, everybody we've ever talked to, and look, there's a lot we could go into on the Kelvin thing, but every player loved him. I mean, like everyone we've talked to, I mean, just swears by him. We just talked to Rod Wilmont.
0: He was like, that's my guy. That's my guy. Yeah.
1: And you could see it on the court, too. I mean, I remember one of his last games where we beat Michigan State at home, and there was a moment in the game where Armand Bassett hit a shot, and he and Samson just, like, embraced in the middle of the court because there was a timeout called. There was clearly a love, and Samson is an organized, tough-minded He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Tom Crean is the opposite in many ways of Kelvin Sampson. Yeah. And I always ask this, and I'm going to ask you when did you realize Tom Crean was an absolute crazy person?
2: Uh, I think it was first workout. First in the workout. (laughs) Uh, And, and, you know, I'm I'm coming into this, you know, not really knowing what to expect. You know, I haven't been around him a whole lot Um, with Sampson. I knew my role was to catch and shoot from really anywhere over half court. He was fine with, um, to be able to catch (laughs) shot fake one dribble and get a shot off. And if I had to shoot a floater. Um, and it was that first workout and I made my move, you know, the managers regarding us, I shot a floater and I had no idea. Tom Crean absolutely hated floaters. And from the moment it came out of my hand to the moment I got thrown out of the gym, I got run. I was like, I made the shot, Coach. Like, um, and and so that was that was, I believe, unless my memory's playing tricks, that was my first individual workout. And so I can remember going. I'm I'm sitting in the in the locker room. I'm like, well, what do I do? Like, if this is high school, I'm gonna march back out there and tell them I'm 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 working out. But I I don't know. What do I do? So I just sat there, and he came in and and drug me back out to the court and put me through the workout. And uh, it it was just polar opposite. I had been, you know, around the program with Samson to see workouts, see individual workouts and skill sessions. And it was just, it was a different, different level. But, you know, the one thing that always rang through to me was, you know, I knew what kind of shooters he had at Marquette and I knew if, if you can make shots for him, you would find, you would find minutes somewhere.
0: It was something Eric and I discussed briefly before you jumped in on the Zoom, which was to, to somebody who wasn't in those conversations about recruiting with exactly how Kelvin Sampson was going to use you. It was almost like, geez, Matt seems to have more of the game for a Tom Crean team in the way we just now we didn't really get to see what Sampson would be like, you know, a few years into it. It really be
1: and we're idiots, and, we're, and, and we don't know idiots. what we're looking at. So,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But in the very superficial base peanut gallery perspective we have, oh, Coach can let you, Coach Crean that is, light it up from outside. He loves that. But I also wonder if, if part of your decision in, in committing to IU or just once you got there and took a look around was, there's no DJ White or Eric Gordon on this team. I am going to be able to have a very large role on this team right away. Was that enticing to you? Did you understand as a freshman that you would be playing in like all the games?
2: I mean I, I knew once we got on campus that there was a pretty good chance of being involved in all the games, um, and then you know one of the things that I was able to bring was just the consistency. You know I mm-hmm. wasn't the the best athlete on our roster. I wasn't the biggest, quickest guy, but consistently day in and day out. Um, I was able to bring the same thing over and over. I think ultimately my freshman year, that's a large part of why I got the nod to start, you know, about half of the year um, was just because of the consistency. And, and we knew, you know, it may not be enough for what we need to do to win this year, but it's at least consistent play throughout the course of the game. But there was still, once we got into really the Maui Invitational, we played Notre Dame that first game, like, it was newsflash. We're not very good, and we don't have the <laughs> pieces. I mean, we're playing Her and and um, the little guard Mc McEl- yeah, I think yeah. was his name. And, and these guys, Luke Zeller is playing like the three four as a seven footer, um, and I'm starting at the two three. So that, you know that's a potential switch matchup with a seven footer. It's like this is just okay. We're we're way over our head here. Uh, But it was it was still good because we were able to adapt and learn and and really learn that the consistency of doing at least what we need to day in and day out um, in the practice realm. It kind of set the foundation for, you know, what ultimately became a a successful run there at Indiana.
1: Well, I'm curious because you kind of answered this, but, you, you know, we spent a little bit of time at the top of this talking about the success you had at your high school and how many games you won and how few games you lost. Yeah. And now you're going to a place that is historically wins all the time, except you're coming into a team that has been blown up and we lose more than you've ever lost in your life. I mean, more than yeah. really any of the players that came. Was it the Maui game where you realized, oh shit, this is, uh, we are just not good. Or could you tell in practice that this is gonna be tough?
2: Um, I, I think we could tell in practice it was going to be tough. You know, we're we're going through, and, and it's just it doesn't look like what you see when you're getting recruited, when you go watch a practice or a shoot around. Um, it's just it's not as crisp. There's a lot more teaching. It's a lot more of, you know, the learning side of, of being a college athlete and not necessarily just X's and O's and, and go out and compete. Um, and, and we knew. I mean, we knew right away. You know, we had needed some legitimate pieces. I mean, we needed a, a legitimate post threat. You know, uh, Tom did a great job, but uh, – and Kyle Tabor that year of, of stepping up and, and bringing their best that year. But, you know, it wasn't – it wasn't what we needed. And, and we had a brutal – I mean, I can't remember the sequence of games. But we played a, a top five Notre Dame team in Maui. We played a top five Gonzaga team in Banker's Life – or not Banker's Life, but Lucas Oil. And we played at at number one uh, Wake Forest all within yeah. like three weeks, and it just it just was one of those things where, you know, it was probably good that we saw that before we got the Big Ten play, but it certainly didn't well, help us. I was going to say feel good.
1: It, and it also <laughs> did, it didn't did help the record. But Matt, what is amazing is you come out like gangbusters. I mean it it is weird to for a freshman who is not let's be honest if you're zion williamson okay you come in and you're a stud from the beginning but when you're not that even guys that are ranked in like the top 50 it takes them a while to just get used to the game you come out your first two games you score nine and 12 points you hit you know you're hitting four or five three-pointers at wake forest you score 12 points You have a a really stellar start to your freshman year. And to your point, there was no one on that team that we could count on. Like we didn't have guys that could just go get buckets, you know, but you were consistent. We knew exactly what you were going to get. I have to think that it's so much about the prep that obviously the work ethic you had, but what your high school coach did for you in those four years, like you just never seemed phased by any moment. It was like, you had a, a demeanor that was just not, you never got too high with the highs or low with the lows. you were just straight down the middle and your freshman year i mean it, it I mean, you had to have been happy about how things were progressing and we'll talk about Ohio State here in a minute, but it it is it a difficult thing to feel good personally about what's happening and to feel awful about what's happening with the team
2: um i I think it was just with the way I was brought up in the, in the high school setting you know, I, it was, it didn't matter if I, you know, if I had, you know, a bad game in high school and, and we won, I was, I was already looking past, you know, the win to the bad. And, and so when we got to college, it kind of flipped on me and it, it was very, you know, great. Yeah, I shot well, great. We got beat by 30. We got <laughs> beat by 25. And and you know and then there were games where you know we played great i think we my senior night my freshman year we lost by five or so to michigan state who yeah you know, they were a final 14 that year uh, you know and it's one of those where you're in the locker room and, and they're like they legitimately like guys you played a, a perfect game like, yeah we lost by five though like that doesn't make us feel like we we lost and right. so looking back now you know at, at 31 it's a lot easier to look back to you know wake forest and say oh you know I did play well I shot it well but it it, it in the moment it, it was a loss it was you know yeah you, you know they, we're we're at Indiana and we've got to go back to campus and walk to class tomorrow we just got run out of a gym and that's just not acceptable and and so there was I think an understanding from at least my viewpoint, I think a lot of the guys, you know, Verdell and, and Tom and Corey, the guys who were in my class who made it all damn more, who made it all the way through those four years where we understood what the program was, what it meant and what it could be. Um, and so we kind of we took that personally and, and there were a lot of days where we didn't want to walk to class. You know, we were we were trying to sneak in the side door to class because we we felt that pressure to represent the, the program. And um, and so those, those losses were, were definitely a lot more than, than any, you know, performance, you know, and, and you already, you know, kind of hinted at the Ohio State game, but, you know, I, I still tell people I had 29, but Diebler, Turner, and Buford all had 30.
0: But they didn't go nine of 11 from outside the arc. None of them did that. Come on, man. None of them tied a school record.
2: Yeah, and look again. Looking back at that, it it really hits home, and it it means a lot. And it's it's fun to watch. You know, Jordan Hall's had a game where he was making a run at it, and Rob Johnson of, of tying that record um, in the in the Iowa game. And you know, it's it, so it, it means a lot now. But in the moment, um, it, it didn't really hit home until you know later in my career. Looking back at it, um, even it started to mean a lot more.
1: Did you know that that game, the Ohio State game, was also the first sellout of the year?
2: Um, I, I We probably were told that because that's one of the like, Tom Crane knows exactly how many seats are in the chairs mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> before every game and how many tickets still need to be sold and And so I have a feeling he probably said something, but he probably used a little bit of the fact that there were a lot of Ohio State people who bought wow. tickets <laughs> um, you know to to sell that um to us just as extra motivation for the game
1: well it worked yeah I mean tell us what what the hell is going on in a game like that where you are just hitting everything and how quickly do you know I got it tonight
2: well I mean it was one of those we we had a a feeling with how they were how they were playing and how we were prepping for that game um they were playing uh, Lauderdale and I think it was Mullins the two big seven footers together Um, And whenever they did that, they had to play a zone. Um, And so we really felt like with those two on the back line of a two, three, they got stuck ball watching a lot. And so, you know, basic scheme of the game was if I was in to try and get behind them on the floor. And then, you know, anytime we had a a wing catch or a high post catch on their side of the floor, um, we were able to, you know, get them caught watching and, and, you know, make those kickouts and, and got a couple corner threes to go. Um, and then, you know, I think the first half, I, I was four for five or four for four or whatever it was. Um, and in the second half, it was just, uh, we were in the game, had a chance to win crowd kind of was, you know, for the first time really bringing, you know, home court advantage that we could, that we were feeding off of. And, uh, you know, just started to hit more and more shots, starting to get farther and farther back off the line. And, um, you know, all the way down to the last one, just we, we were in striking distance. We just needed a combination of a couple big shots and a couple stops. And and so it was just, you know, again, it, it was one of those. I knew then if I had a look, I needed to shoot it. Uh, and, you know, would have loved to have got a couple more looks. but. Um, you know, they really shifted their defense and extended. And, uh, you know, that team was uh, as talented as any team we played all year. So, oh,
1: yeah. Big um, and long, too. Yeah,
2: they were able to adjust and, and take away a lot of things. And, and you know, it, it was one of those where if we had another guy who could stretch the floor and, you know, you know going to skip ahead to senior year where we've got, you know, three guys at 50% or so, um, you know, it would have made things – really open up for us um, or they would have had to change their entire game plan um one with the other
0: as you're going through i mean this was the fewest wins in the program since the 1915 16 season right yeah. one in 17 in conference it's it's so bad did you did you really always believe that it was going to end up where you guys finally got to
2: um, I, I mean, I think personally there was that belief in there, uh, you know, just being a a competitive, you know, goal-setting person, you know, learning that at the high school level, carrying it over. Um, you could start to see by the end of that first year, we'd, we'd done, you know, some great recruiting, you know, bringing in, you know, Christian, who I thought um, even as a recruit, you know, showed some great upside when he would play with us. Mm. And then Jordan Hall's, you know, being an in-state guy, but another winner and a guy who, from a, a personal level, he and I were almost the same person in terms of how we approach things, how we worked on the game. You know, obviously Jordan dribbled a lot more than I did, but um, mm-hmm. and in the shooting realm, we were we super competitive, but we were we were all built around that winning mentality. You know, Christian won, Derek Elston won in high school, um, and and as we kind of springboard to that. To that sophomore year, we we've got a group that wants to win. We've weeded out a lot, and that was one of the things that that Crean and his staff did so well at, in in times was weeding out the guys who weren't bought into that long term vision of, hey, we're going to get this thing rolling, we're going to win, we're going to win Big Ten titles, um, and he demanded that every, every drill, every sprint, um, almost to a fault, you know where you just, you had to be bought into everything. Um, And it was tough, Um, you know, there are a lot of ups and downs through the seasons, you know, injuries, streaks, all that kind of stuff. Um, And so it's, it's hard to keep sight of that, you know, long-term plan. Um, But, you know, we had a core group of guys who really wanted that Um, and and we just, you know, refused to, to get caught up in the moment of the bad.
1: Another guy that you came in with, who we talked to, and he doesn't get enough credit like you don't, for just persevering, is Verdell Jones,
2: yeah. uh,
1: another Illinois kid who comes across the border, and and Verdell was undersized. I mean, good length, good good height, yeah. but skinny as hell. Yep. To get the hell beat out of him in the Big Ten, and was charged with handling the ball most of the time. Um, Tell us a little bit about Verdell as a teammate, and and what relationship you had with him. Did you know him from just growing up in Illinois?
2: Yeah, we we knew each other going back to I think even the middle school levels of, of competing. Um, never played against each other to our senior year. Um, you know, he was an under recruited guy. Um, just just with the way you know the high school game goes and everything, he was you know borderline you know between the cracks in, in terms of it. And so you know, I I. Had a lot of respect for him, and and I knew what he was doing. You know, he competed um, with a, a kid who I played AAU with, Lewis Jackson, um, mm-hmm. who ended up at Purdue. Yeah. Um, and so I, I could always watch those two compete, and I knew that was a heated rivalry. And I was real tight with Lewis, so it was almost like I was taking his side at times. And, <laughs> and so getting to know Verdell and, and we were able to kind of the, the tie in. You know, we're both Illinois guys, so we would, you know, drive each other back home if we were going home for a weekend, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Verdell at the end of the day, just wanted to win. Um, yeah. And and he didn't see any of those, any of those flaws, you know, he didn't see being small, skinny, um, you know, undersized for the big 10 as a friend. He just wanted to win, um, almost to a fault at times, you know, where, where he would get so frustrated with, you know, himself and with his teammates because he just wanted to win. Um, And so I really grew to, you know, respect the, you know, the crap out of him just because he just wanted to win. You know, it didn't matter, you know, I don't, I don't think it would have mattered if it was our sophomore year that we started winning or our senior year. Um, He just wanted to win and he wanted to influence it. Um, But to get there, you know, I think like, like all of us, we had to mature and and learn how to, to trust, you know, all of our teammates and, and know what everybody's going to bring to the table it's that consistency that i was talking about a little earlier where you know we all had to kind of grow into that so we knew it's it doesn't matter if it's tuesday or sunday matt's going to make shots (laughs) verdell's going to make the right play he's going to make the right read he's going to play stronger you know defensively you know for longer stretches of time you know as he his body changed and his body changed he never he never really got you know big by any standards but right. by his senior year I mean he was wired he was strong um and, and you know he brought so much to the table with his court vision um and, and then at the end of the day you could always respect him because he wanted to win and it didn't matter if it was a, a, a competitive drill and practice or a game you know he wanted to be on that winning side and and that was that was his consistency we knew that was what he wanted and he would do what it what it took to do that so um, you know, a ton of respect, good friend, um, you know, and, and, you know, proud of what he's doing now. So,
0: yeah. So you get into that sophomore year and uh, obviously the, the cavalry is starting to arrive. You got some talent there, but two games into the season, you're practicing for the Puerto Rico tip off. You get the foot injury. Yeah. How's that go down? When do you realize that's that's your season it's over and then how do you go about dealing with that
2: yeah i mean it was it was just one of those kind of freak things it was first drill of practice not only two games in first drill And you know, we've been in puerto rico maybe an hour and a half total mm. and just step just legitimately just stepped on a foot and you know went down you know in my mind i'm like oh, did i just roll my ankle like that's and that hurts like that's not good but kept going, you know, four, maybe five reps and then, you know, walk into the back of the line and it just, the pain just over, you know, it just overtook me Mm -hmm. and I was dropped over on the floor. Um, and, and Timmy G Tim Garo comes out, he's like, dude, what happened? And I'm like, I I can't walk. Like there's like, uh, just a severe pain in the middle of my foot. And I can remember going over, you know, it was first day in Puerto Rico, So the docs had gone golfing, I think. And they come into practice and I'm sitting on a chair and and Dr. Alford comes over and he's looking at it. He just presses gently on that that bone on the side of my foot. And next thing I know, I'm laying on the ground. Just, I fell off the chair. I'm in just, and and so he's kind of prepping me then as we're going to get x-rays at this Puerto Rico hospital which was the sketchiest thing I've ever done uh, (laughs) medically. Uh, And and so we're (laughs) there. They're kind of prepping me. They're like, "Hey, you know, you're probably going to be, you know, out for a while. We'll figure out exact diagnosis and everything." And and so we get through it. They confirm that I broke my foot, and uh, then you know, there's this circus of we we had no crutches. Uh, oh. You know, the hospital didn't have any crutches, so I spent like a day and a half on pain pain pills and Tijon Joe pushing me around in a wheelchair. <laughs> um, and, and you know it, then finally they got some crutches um for me but i mean i just I, I, that that stretch the pain and the combination of the, the medication i i couldn't have told you until i looked it up later who we played mm. after our first wow. game like because first game we knew who the scout was i had been involved in that but the the combination of everything i didn't know what happened really um you know the second game i don't I wasn't at. And then the third game, you know, I was able to be at, but uh, just was so far out of it. Um, And then obviously coming back, having the surgery, um, being optimistic that maybe I could get back, you know, six to eight weeks. But then as the rehab process, the healing process, it just, it took longer than I think anybody wanted to. Um, Then there's the mental side of, you know, getting back to that hundred percent of, trusting and, and being able to move at a Division One level. Um, and so it just, it, you know, it took the game away. For the first time in my life, you know, I didn't have the game to, to fall back on. I didn't have the satisfaction or the frustrations of, you know, being involved in winning and losing, which just made it hurt that much more. Um, but it, it also, I think, was a springboard Um, just going back to the basics of shooting, you know, I was on one foot, you know, with a a cast on my right foot. So I had to to be balanced. I had to, you know, be in closer to the basket and just, and really just work on form and repetition just to stay engaged and and locked in um, which, you know, I'd always spent time doing that stuff, but it's very easy when you're shooting at that level to, to bypass the number of reps. Um, And so where, You know, maybe it was 50 reps of, you know, form shooting became 500 reps of form shooting. Um, And it just it it kind of filled that void of of not being able to compete by being able to work on on different things. And then, you know, through the rehab process, you know, doing those same form shots on my bad foot, on my right foot Um, and and just going through that process. And then ultimately, you know, once I decided that I wasn't going to play that year, Um, You know, being involved in the scout team the last, you know, three or four games of the season um, and and just getting back into a routine of competing without necessarily the ramifications of being under, you know, Kareen's microscope because I'm on the scout team, not, you know, in the rotation mix. Um, And so it gave me some freedom to work on some things and, and kind of take a little bit more risk in what I was doing shooting.
0: We know that rehab can be such a lonely, isolating experience were there any coaches, trainers, obviously, Tim Garls with you a lot, um, but like the other players, a roommate that that could really help you not feel so alone, or is that just unavoidable?
2: Uh, it's it's tough. I mean, I think the the assistant trainers we had, the student trainers, um, were kind of with me every step of the rehab process while Tim was working with all the guys. Um but then, you know, we had a already at that point with Jordy, with Derek, uh, we had a, a group of guys who, you know, it was it was pretty routine. They'd stick their head in. They'd check in. You know, even Derek just coming into the, the training room, the treatment room, you know, his, his motivation wasn't to get treatment. It was to mess with Tim Garl, you know, and his <laughs> antics. And, and so it provided kind of a release. It provided a – you know, a sense of humor that we could have during that rehab process. Um, But it it definitely was a a lonely time, you know, in terms of, you know, not really going through it. We hadn't had anybody to that point in my career who was out with injury for long periods of time. And so it it wasn't like there was a whole lot of guys that you could fall to to talk to about it because nobody really had been through it. Uh, um, So it was tough, you know, I think that was a really strong foundational point with Lindsay and I, um, because she was going through, you know, she had already blown her ACL out before the season. And so she was going through, you know, rehab process um, far ahead of um, me breaking my foot. And so we were able to, you know, be forced almost to rely on each other outside of assembly hall outside of you know, getting around, you know, she would be the one telling me it was a bad idea to drive the class with my left foot because I had a cast on my right foot kind of deal. And uh, yeah, not that I always listened to that, but, um, you know, we were able to to really build a foundation that I think has helped us, um, you know, in our marriage now, um, just being able to trust each other and, and fall back on each other when, you know, things aren't easier, things are out of whack. How'd you guys meet? Uh, I mean, she caught my eye really quick, you know, um, and you know, yeah, she that's had a what that's what her. happens in
1: Bloomington. That's what happens. Yeah,
2: there. and uh, you know, not only was she you know beautiful in my eyes, but she could shoot it. You know, I, <laughs> I, 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 two for two, uh, and uh, and so just you know, kind of got to know her a little bit from the game. You know, being in Assembly Hall, we didn't have our separate practice facilities at Cook Hall yet, so a lot of times it'd be us using the gym and then them using the gym and. You know, if we wanted to get on the gun on the side hoop, a lot of times they were still in there, um, and and so just kind of got to know each other as friends. Uh, you know, crazy story. She actually tried to set me up on a date with her roommate, oh. uh, which <laughs> never happened. Uh, now her roommate's still a dear friend of both of ours now. That's but, funny. You know, my my motivation was to to be with Lindsay, um, even early on there, and so. Um, just kind of met and and got to know each other and you know eventually was able to to get her to wise up and and yeah. get her old boyfriend and and shortly after settle for me <laughs> <laughs> i i i
0: love that is the first time when somebody's describing how they fell in love with with their wife was was that she could shoot it
1: yeah she could shoot it
0: and now you had talked about her volleyball was she playing both at iu or just basketball at iu and then volleyball is how your children more know her athletically. So she,
2: she played both. She played for, for two years on the basketball side. Um, she had compartment syndrome surgery her freshman year. She was kind of their sixth. What is that? Basically, stress fractures in your shin. From oh. Just prolonged shin splints, I think. Um, okay. And so she had surgery on that little five-week of freshman year, which really put a damper Ooh. on a little five-week. Yeah. Taking care of her but. What do, you,
1: what do you mean? I mean, you're an athlete and you're underage, so what do
0: you mean? He loves bike races.
2: He's wanted to watch the race. <laughs> oh, okay. Um,
0: okay sure.
2: But, uh, <laughs> and not only did she have it on one leg, she had surgery on both at the same time. So, oh, jeez. Um,
0: did you get Tijon Job to help push her around? Because that's real easy for
2: a guy that. Big. Yeah, he could have carried her, carried her really easily. Um, By the way,
1: Tijon Job pushing you around was the only assist that Tijon Job had in his career at Indiana. Just want to put <laughs> that. Yeah, they, that out. I,
2: I think one of the the jokes they always you know because Tijon had a, a habit of running into teammates in practice <laughs> <Yeah. and> scrimmages. <laughs> was, you know, when he was pushing me around, hey, don't hurt him any worse than he (laughs) already is. So that gave me a great deal of confidence. But, uh, but yeah, so, yeah, Lindsay, you know, surgery her freshman year at the end of the season, and then she blew her knee out right before Hoosier Hysteria. Sophomore year, and she just needed to make a change. She was a very talented – she's probably, high school-wise, a better all-around volleyball player than even basketball. And she was, you know, Indiana All-Star, Um, in a really good class Um, and so when she decided to make that switch uh, volleyball had an opportunity for her and it was going to be a whole lot easier on her legs to be able to finish her collegiate career Um, and so she went ahead and made that switch and played her junior and senior year um, on the volleyball squad at at IU so she was able to kind of conquer both and so you know not only could she shoot it she was a two-sport athlete there so um, you know she's she she will tell anybody she's the better athlete of the two of us. So when when did you get
1: engaged? Did you get engaged at Indiana?
2: We did not. We okay. we got engaged after our senior year. We went. Um, I actually went on a vacation with her family back to Hawaii. Um, her dad's side is a Hawaiian descent family, so we went back to Hawaii and got engaged there, um, which seemed like another no brainer.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Kind of lays out nicely for you. <laughs> All right, so you go into your now junior year, uh, although I would assume because of what happened your sophomore year, are you thinking, did you apply for the red shirt? Like what What happens there, like technically? do you? I know you can wait to the end of the year, but can you wait to the end of your four years to apply for a red shirt in
2: a previous year? Um, I So I think you apply, but they don't grant it right away is my understanding. So I did apply for it. Um, it, was, it was granted that medical red shirt. So um, in your
1: head, you're like, I got three more years of playing.
2: Potentially, yeah. Okay. Yep.
1: So you get into your, um, well, your, your, for all intents and purposes, your sophomore year, your second year of playing. And I imagine you're still rounding back into shape truthfully, because your minutes are, I mean, there's more talent on the team for sure. You've had two recruiting cycles, but your minutes are down, especially at the beginning. Although as the year progresses, you round into form and have some big games. And we get to a point in that year against good old Bruce Weber and Illinois against a ranked Illinois team when Indiana has not beat a ranked team since Tom Crean has been there. And you guys pull out the big win. What do you remember about that game? Certainly, Crean went ballistic, but what do you guys remember? What do you personally remember from that game, and what did it mean to you?
2: Well, I think, you know, within the team, within the players, it was a a huge just step for us um, back to what we wanted to become normal, right, where where teams coming in weren't going to beat us at home under any circumstance. Um, But it was also one of those games, it was back and forth, Um, and, and we made some big plays. Jordy made some big plays down the stretch. Um, and it was really that, that first check mark for us where not only did we beat a very good team, but we made big plays against pressure against, you know, legitimate, you know, talent to win a game. Right. Um, and then, so aside from that, I mean, the, the one thing I can remember, you know, we're, we're in the locker room and we're jacked, we're, we're pumped, um, and then you know you start to settle down and you're sitting there and we know our routine we're waiting for you know Kareem to come in and the other assistants and where's he at anybody seen anybody seen him like
1: giving up pizza. and, and then
2: somebody comes in i i can't remember who comes in and he goes he's in the lobby and it's like okay uh, what's he doing <laughs> and so we had no idea what was transpiring oh, until after yeah. the fact and we saw the video um and you know we're we're in there we're like okay well this is awkward now like he's in the lobby normally at this point we're we're starting post-game treatments, showers grabbing some food getting ready to to get out for the night and it's like okay well do we just sit here and wait you know how long long is he gonna be um and so I can remember just kind of the the uncertainty that hit of okay well you know what do we do what do we do we haven't experienced this before we haven't had a huge win um you know where you know he's not chasing us into the locker room um and so there was some uncertainty of just you know the timeline of of everything and
1: when you when you do find out where he was and what he was doing As players playing for him, like, you know, look, we all got – as fans, we got caught up in it. Yeah, this is great. He's one of the people and, you know.
0: Everybody loves pizza.
1: Yeah. As a player, do you just kind of go, what the hell is he doing? Like, are you guys kind of, like, questioning it or do you love it too?
2: Uh, I I think it's kind of a a mix of the two. I mean, we, we knew, you know, he was crazy. In several ways, but we also knew how much it meant to him at that point. You know, by that point, three years in, we'd been in some battles and we'd been in some heated moments and, and we had seen, you know, just like he had seen in us an array of every emotion in the world, we had seen that emotion from him. And so it was, it was, you know, reassuring that he was fully invested, like this is what he wants. But then at the same time we had that approach of we're not that far off. We want this to be regular. Right. You know, we want to win. We don't want to win a game and have a court storm and we want to to bring back that that tradition of just taking care of business and, and let's move on to the next. And
1: the whole idea of act like you've been there before a little bit. And
2: so yeah, know? it was it was just kind of fun. but it was it was funny because you know that was right as, you know, film and edits and And, you know, gifts were starting to get out there. And so (laughs) then you could see, you know, just kind of the replay over and over of it. And so it was kind of comical. And it, it, you know, again, provided us with, you know, a sense of laughter and, and, you know, something to build around that was good when we hadn't had a whole lot of that over the years. Two
0: things that were good that came in at the beginning of that year were a couple of freshmen named Victor Oladipo and Will Sheehy. Yep. When did you start to see the victor that is now gracing our screens during the NBA playoffs? Is that is that something you could tell as a guy who'd been around the game your whole life, like, ooh? Yeah. Or obviously the raw talent was there, but did it take a while for you to see that he had the discipline – and and the growth at a certain rate that he would turn into something special
2: uh you could see it pretty quick i mean there there's guys who come in who are super athletes and and they don't have that motor um and they don't have that attention to detail and he had that from day one he and will um and, and will's another guy much like you know verdell where he wills he's just gonna win there was no excuses there was no you know oh my bad no it it, it it's my bad. Will's going to be at your throat, you know, at all costs. Um, and that's why, you know, we love Will as IU people, because he had IU's back over and over. Mm, um, yeah. and so you could see it early on and you could see not only the attention, the detail and the willingness to learn, but then the the investment in time. You could see Victor, you know, wanting to jump in a shooting drill with, with Jordan and I, um, mm. which at that point in his career wasn't, you know, it wasn't going to work out good for him, but he was competitive. He wanted it, and he wanted to get to that level and, it, and put in the work and improve. And, and that's stuff that you don't always see that. And, and guys, they come in, they're super athletic, and they just want it to come easy. And they both work. They work hard off the court. Um, and they were two guys that, you know, once they're in that locker room, and they've got our back, and we've got theirs, you know, whether it's in the locker room or on campus, you know, wherever we're at you know it just those two kind of were the last two pieces before cody came in that that kind of sealed us into a a really solid unit we just needed experience and then you know getting a legitimate you know potential nba ready big and a cody zeller to to give us that inside presence which you have to have in the big 10.
0: when you were talking about vic working on his shooting and you coming in already as a prolific, effective shooter. Um, somebody we really haven't got to talk to to anybody about on the show is Tim Buckley. But we have heard, you know, he is the shot doctor and that he is very much responsible for a lot of the great shooting that went on during the Crean years. Is that accurate? And if so, what was what was the secret sauce of Buckley getting you guys to
2: fill it up? Yeah, I mean, he was just, uh, I mean, he was a stickler on shooting drills. He was a stickler on the details of them, the footwork, the mechanics behind shot preparation, having your hands ready, not just, you know, in the right spot, but have that wrist loaded up. Like, he he really worked on the details, and, and you know, he could, he would shoot with any of us at the, you know, he always joked, you know, the, the 17-foot line was his line. Um, huh. So he could he huh. could do it, but then just the accountability of, doing his shooting drills. Um, Not only were they competitive, but there were also consequences. You know, missing two in a row, missing three in a row, there were consequences. Um, And, you know, you were taught, you know, early on that you could have a bad make, basically. meaning you might make the shot, but the preparation, the work wasn't great. You know, there was a flaw in that. And so just the the details that he was able to teach, but then also hammer home through drills, um, you know, really made – you know, his impact on, on the shooting side of things, in my opinion. Um, but then also his understanding, you know, he's been with Kareem, you know, over the years for long periods of time. So he understands the ins and outs of the oh, offense. Um, and so the man. movement patterns, the footwork, uh, that's going to be uh, <laughs> important. So he was able to tie all those in the drills. And, that, you know, you, you hear a lot of times people say, you know, don't, don't just go do a drill. Um, And so all of his drills were game-like situations with consequences um, along the way, just like a a true game would be. So, you know, you're kind of training under fire, um, which was something that he was able to bring to the table with, with all of us. But, you know, certainly, you know, some of those guys who improved.
1: Uh, As important as the Illinois win was, and it was for, I think, the fan base to just see a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel because we hadn't seen too many. I do think that Michigan State game where you went on the road in overtime and almost won, and Matt, you really have come into form in this season at this point. He's using you more. Your minutes are up a little bit. You go four or five at Michigan State in an overtime game and score 12 points. I know we lose by one, but you know, I don't believe in moral victories, but for a team that's lost as much as we have to go into the clear leader of the Big Ten Conference and a guy who seemed to just own Crean mentally up until this point because of him being his kind of, you know, poobah and, you know, all that. Here we go. Oh, wow, we're competing with the big boys on the road. Um, You you end up beating Minnesota that year. Also, Uh, it turns into a solid year for you. And I think for the fan base, really seeing... Holy shit, now we've got Cody coming. This could really get special. Before we get to your to to the 11-12 I want to ask on your best day at Indiana and on Jordy's best day at Indiana. 100 three-pointers, who wins?
2: Off-catch and shoot me. All right. I like it. If there's if there's dribbling, I, the Jordy That's- okay or you know or if he can call the footwork because he loves doing like scissored feet what do you mean by that what what does that mean call the
1: footwork like telling you how to put your feet
2: yep so he would say you know you know just like you're doing a stretch he'd say right foot over left and then you know jump shoot and land left foot over right um and so (laughs) you know he he (laughs) loves doing all the mind games and, and stuff but um, you know, just catch and shoot, um, you know, I'll roll the dice with me any day.
1: And and on your best day out of 100, how many do you think you hit? No defense, just
2: practice. I would hope to be somewhere between 94 and 96, especially back then. What? My goodness. <laughs> 94 and 96 out of 100? Yeah, especially back, yeah.
1: Oh, my yep. God. It just – we. You still have a year of eligibility.
0: I mean, What about
2: right now? You go out onto the court. You shoot 100 after this podcast. I would hope to be somewhere in the mid-80s right now today, like walking downstairs here at work to the court.
1: Best shooter on our team. All right, so now we're into your senior year. This is it for for Indiana. This has to be the year that we turn the corner or else, I mean, the whole state's going to blow the hell up. And Cody comes in. We we've talked to Will on the show who really broke down for us some subtleties about how important Cody was. And he talks about how incredible Vic's transformation was from sophomore to, or I'm sorry, from freshman to sophomore year. And that was, but he said, but Cody was the reason that the whole thing clicked. What was Cody like as a teammate? And would you agree with that assessment?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, it, it changed – it is going back to when he committed. Um, you know, obviously we had got a lot of recruits, you know, up to that point. Um, I can't remember ever a delay in our practice schedule to watch his announcement, you know, it was broadcast.
1: Yes. Um,
2: and wow. so I can remember sitting in the locker room watching it and then running down the hall to practice. Um, did they and have, just did the that, meter did, of, did like, you know – Crean who comes into practice every day, teed off, ready to go. He came in and there was he was happy. Like it was weird as a player, um, and so I can remember that. But then just the impact in, in having him, you know, in practice, in drill. I mean, he killed me because Cody can run the floor faster than I can. So Crean thought it'd be a good idea to change the times on our sprints, which was not benefiting me at all. But, um, But, you know, just he just brought a winning, tough, you know, kind of quiet leadership with him to where he wasn't going to get rattled one way or the other. Um, And he was going to, you know, again, be consistent. I mean, he came in from day one and you knew what you were going to get from him every day.
1: Well, you got a lot from him and others. And, again, it's a season where, like, your minutes, which we've talked to plenty of players how difficult it is to manage when you don't know how much you're going to play and one game you're playing a lot, one game you're not. But, again, this consistency that started for you back in high school, really, and maybe even earlier, is there because when you are called upon and when we need you, like at Penn State, when the Big Ten is kicking off, at Penn State you go 5 of 6 from the three-point line, 7 of 7, uh, I think from the free throw line, you scored 22 points in that game at Iowa. Again, it's one thing to shoot well at home. A lot of guys shoot well at home. You shot well everywhere. You go to Iowa, four four. By the way, little known fact, that year, do you know what your free throw percentage was?
2: 100%.
1: Yes, 100%. 100% from the free throw line. And like we said before, I mean, by the way, I love this. You made 44 field goals that year. 42 were three-pointers, which yep. I just love.
2: I can I can remember the two twos as well. Oh, really? Yeah. One against Michigan. I was on the line, they said. And the other was a floater oh. against... Uh, floater! Against Gardner-Webb over a seven-footer.
1: Yes, I was hoping it would be a floater yes. just for Kareem's sake. I love that.
2: <laughs> yep, so,
1: so we came full circle. But we got to talk about...
0: Yeah, we got to go before the big Ten season, you guys, you're starting to roll. We've talked with several of your teammates about the NC State game, which was real really a watershed moment where you went on the road, you took down a good rising NC State program. so you've got the confidence up and Kentucky's coming to town. Tell us what was the mood like in the locker room before you. you took the court against this team and just take us through your your memories cuz you've got to think back to this game at least 2 3 times a day and what are what are the highlights hour. what did what did it sound like in there you know give us give us your perspective on this most historic of games
2: yeah i mean it we i mean we had you know just in the preparation for the game just a solid i mean it never crossed our mind it was never brought up you know of if we can beat them or Possibly if we do – It was this is our game plan. This will beat Kentucky when they come to town. And you could start to feel, you know, three, four days in advance the, the – you know, we were still going to class. You could feel the buzz, you know, the talk. And and it just – it all built up. And, you know, it was from a player standpoint, I mean, we'd had big games. You know, you mentioned Ohio State being a sellout. But, I mean, we had a sellout against Kentucky, and nobody sat down. I can remember, you know, being on the bench and because of the lovely Big Ten rules, you know, we're the only 12 guys in the building sitting down Perfect. and we're potentially <laughs> going to be playing. Um, it, it just, it was so electric. The crowd was, you know, through the roof. You couldn't hear. And that was a common trend that year for us in home games. It, you always heard about how loud Assembly Hall would be. Um, and you just, you couldn't hear, you know, it was deafening. Your ears would be almost ringing. Um And, and so it was just, just, it was electric, you know, we played so incredibly well. And then, you know, I can remember sitting in that timeout and thinking, oh, there's no way like we, something's going to happen that we've come way too far. We've worked too hard. Something's going to happen. And, you know, I can remember sitting in the, in the timeout, just thinking, there's what, there's going to be a break. There's going to be an opportunity. We're ready for it. Um, And I can remember the free throws you know, and and sitting there as a player and and somebody who I'd I'd like to think I understand the game pretty well. They don't have anybody on the line and they don't have anybody up on the free throw. Like, we're going to have a clean inbounds. You know, Mm -hmm. they're not going to press us. They're not going to foul right away because they don't have anybody up there. So we're going to have a chance to get the ball moving. We knew the set we were going to run. We practiced it every day. I mean, every five on O, we ended with that set. Um, And it just, you could see all all the moving pieces and it just seeing Verdell coming straight down the floor and and you could see Christian running and it just, it's like almost like you were watching it on TV Um, and and you could see the whole thing. And you, you watch games, you know, you watch the buzzer beaters as a kid, like there's shots that go up there. No doubt. The clock goes off, falls in the air. It's just a no doubt. You don't need to review it. You don't need to look at it. It's just, it's a done deal. And uh, I, I can just remember the rush of the moment and, and then trying to get up, uh, you know, yeah. out of that dog pile. And then you, you stand up and you realize there's thousands of people between you and the locker room. And it's like. <laughs> Did it know, get I'm scary? A, I'm a 6'2 guy who looks like a lot of guys who go to IU. So I <laughs> kind of push your way through and and then move because after so long, Long, you're like, okay, I got to get out of here. Like, let's let's get to that locker room and you know, normal you know situation over you know 80 plus games probably at that point in my career. Everybody gets to the locker room the same way at the same time. So this time you've got guys coming in side doors, back doors, you know, <laughs> just any by any means. And, and again, it was one of those situations where you know the the excitement level in there was just through the roof and. And we knew what it meant for us. Uh, it was a huge check mark on our, on our kind of approach that season. You know, we had Evansville, we had Butler, we had Notre Dame, Purdue, all in-state teams. We wanted to check those off. We wanted to win our first Big Ten-ACC game. We wanted to beat Kentucky, whether they were number one or number 200 in the country. We wanted to beat Kentucky, and uh, so it was a, a check mark. We were able to, to enjoy it. You know, and then the beauty of the way the schedule lined up. We had a week, you know, Saturday to Saturday before we played Notre Dame. So we truly, for maybe the first time ever, got to enjoy a moment and a win. And, you know, the next day, not have to worry about a single thing. And and then, you know, we come back in the gym on Monday. It's okay. It doesn't mean anything if we can't beat Notre Dame. And Mm -hmm. so we were able to then move forward from it, but still, like, fully enjoy it and watch the replay a million times on ESPN and, <laughs> and almost, you know, seeing it from the different perspectives of camera angles and, and people who recorded it on phones and
1: at, at Nick's, the video of Nick's going Knicks
2: crazy. um, and it just, uh, it is the first moment where in the moment you were able just to fully enjoy it. You know, the other moments, you know, the Ohio state game that we talked about, like, I can enjoy that moment now of what it means. But that Kentucky game was the first one where it was like, wow, like we like, this is it.
0: You get to walk to class now and not sneak in the side door. Now you get to walk through campus with chin Jenna, up your shoulders back. Yeah. Your chin yeah. up. And to have gone from the, the lowest of lows to arguably the most exciting win. Uh, Well, let's say off the top of my head, one of the top three IU wins in my lifetime that I remember. So to, to go from one extreme to the other, you could just soak that in for, for, for days to come after that. Right. And be like, yes, it was all worth it. Yeah. Did you feel like, you guys had resurrected the program because that's certainly how we, the fans were taking it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was kind of our goal As again, as we set up for that season, looking at that non-conference schedule, um, knowing what we could achieve, you know, not only, you know, that win, but then taking care of all those in-state opponents and not losing a game because, I mean, you could check the Butler game off, you know, they've been to two final fours and, you know, they're the program and they're the best team in the state and all this stuff that you would hear. uh, Well, not anymore. You know, they came into assembly hall Mm. and, and we, you know, beat them by 15 or so Um, check off Notre Dame, a road win at Evansville um, which, you know, we hadn't won true road games very often. And so that one, even though it's a a mid major, you know, that one was a big check Mark for us just as we went and then, you know, Notre Dame. And then, you know, for the first time in, in my four years, you know, we get Purdue, and we oh, get yeah. them twice.
1: Get and, them twice, and we
2: beat them twice. And so, you know, that's a big deal because we hadn't done it, and, and you know, for a stretch there, Purdue was really stinking good, and they beat us, and they enjoyed it. And so, it was it was our turn to kind of shift the tide for a little bit.
1: You know, we have talked to Cody and Jordy and Will. Um, who else from that? To Christian Creek. So we've talked to several people from that team. One of the things that Will brought up to us that is really interesting is obviously the 12-13 team. They won a Big Ten title. They were ranked number one in the in the country for a, a long stretch of the year. They fizzled out in the Sweet 16, but they had a very good year. But in talking to all those guys, they all say to a man, "11-12 was the most fun they ever had playing basketball." 12-13 for Will, and I think even Cody agreed with this, it was a bit of a, a struggle. It was a, there, there wasn't the joy. And they just all talk about that 11-12 team as just being so joyous and fun and the group was so tight-knit. Did you get that feeling, too, in the moment during that season that you just had a special group of guys there?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was hands down. And, and, you know, obviously I'm biased as being a part of it and not that following year. Uh, I mean, what we had, you you couldn't, you couldn't match, but we've been through the worst of the worst. We knew what that felt like. We feared that and and were able to use it to drive us together, Um, you know, and and going back to AJ Guyton, who I mentioned, you know, at the beginning of this, um, you know, he had talked and and he had always said you, you either do one of two things on a successful team. You either play for the coach or you play for each other, Uh, either one, you can be successful, but it's going to be one or the other. And that group, it, it, the coaches didn't matter. Uh, You know, they, they obviously, they did the game planning, all that, but that group, and and through and through uh, we would have done anything for each other um, to help get to what we needed to do. Um, And you don't find that with, with guys coming in with, with different agendas um, of players pursuing the professional game. You just don't find that. And and that group, um, my senior year was our goal was to, to not only return IU back to what it should be, but it was to, you know, make a run at a Big Ten in a national championship. And wow. nobody nobody outside of maybe our locker room would have truly thought we were serious. But, you know, again, it didn't matter because it, it didn't matter, you know, what the coaches thought, what they said, what they did to us in practice, what they – we, we were going to go out and play for each other um, and take great joy in each other's successes. And then when we had failures, we were going to pull each other along and, and, and carry our weight and somebody else's.
1: Well, as fans, we felt that. And going back to your dream of waking up in that sweet 16 game, I mean, look, Kentucky had crazy talent. I mean, they've got Anthony Davis, who's arguably the best player in the world. They had Terrence Jones, who's still in the NBA. You know, I mean, they had Teague. They, they had so much talent. And, Here we are. We had a lot of talent too, but we weren't, we didn't have that kind of talent. I I think it's fair to say. And the depth of talent. And you guys were toe to toe with them in the sweet 16 when everybody knew that they were the odds on favorite to win the championship. Nobody played Kentucky the way that we, that you played them. I say we, because I like to put myself on the team. Yeah. Um, But the year ends and it is a magical year for a lot of reasons. We do feel back like Ward said. And I know there was a lot of controversy about it, but I got—I got to just get the get to the core of this. So yeah. you are the best shooter on the team, you and Jordy. We have twelve, thirteen. There's other guys coming in. There's this bullshit bowel movement that's coming in. That's what I call them—the bowel movement. Um, Yogi's great, but nobody else really works out. And you have a year of eligibility left. So Matt. I read everything I could when it was happening, and as a fan, all I could read was that like no one was talking to you about it.
2: What was happening like walk us through it well it was it, it ultimately just it came down to you know the the number of scholarships you're allotted um, and, and so you know from my standpoint, you know there a lot of things could have happened that could have given me that opportunity sure. to to fill that fifth year but you know, you only get X amount of scholarships, um, and it just, you know, they didn't pan out. Nobody, but were nobody transferred, and I wouldn't have thought that anybody would have transferred off that team just because of how tight we were and what the program meant to us. Um, and and the, the guys who came in, you know, they, they ended up being there that year. Um, and, and so it was just a kind of really odd situation with that medical redshirt of yeah you've got a medical red shirt, but it doesn't it doesn't guarantee you anything. It doesn't have the same weight in my opinion of just coming in as a freshman and hey, we're gonna redshirt you because you need a year to, to mature or whatever. Um, and so it just was it was kind of gray area. It was hard for me because you know I'd already graduated in three years. Um, I was nearly done with my master's program that I had started at the end of my junior year. And so academically, I was searching for what can I do to even be eligible to play, because I have to mm. take at least a semester of classes. Um, and so it was it was just kind of a, a very gray area of, you know, it's it's a numbers game. And, and so you're going through it.
1: You're way too diplomatic, and I get that. It's difficult, I do, I get all that. But
2: yeah. it sounds like you're
1: on your own here, figuring this all out. Is no one from the staff calling you and being like, look, here's the situation. We got to, we're trying to figure this out with you. Or were you just totally on your own waiting for somebody to
2: call? Uh, I mean, there was some communication back and forth. Um, And the thing was, a lot of it was out of their control. I I don't know if they were waiting to see if so-and-so or somebody would transfer, um, you know, just – Maurice for example had had all those injuries and and what was he going to do there was possibility that he was going to take a medical hardship and so there was a lot of of things at play um one of the kids coming in I can't remember which one had some academic qualifications. Ron Patterson um, issues and so they were navigating all of that and um didn't you feel like you earned it I mean, absolutely, I feel like, you know, I, I did everything I could during my four years. Um, but I also, I feel like I had a really good perspective of, again, goals that I had set. And, you know, now not only, you know, have I knocked off almost all of these, you know, none of my goals were ever academic. Like it, As bad as that's gonna sound, I, it just didn't <laughs> matter to me. Um, and, and here I am walking away with a master's in administration and an undergrad, which I'll probably never used, but got it anyways. Hey, Matt, um,
1: Matt, just so you know, Ward and I didn't play athletics. None of our goals were academic either. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Never used my degree.
2: <laughs> and, and so, you know, it, it's just difficult and, and being post grad at that point, you know, you're not allowed to be involved in the team workouts during the summer. Um, and so, so now I'm, You know, still in Bloomington. My girlfriend Lindsay at the time, now wife, um, was moving back to Fort Wayne where she's from. Um, And so I was back and forth, you know, went on a vacation just to get away. Um, And and it was just one of those things where it kind of drug out. There were some opportunities that came up to go play elsewhere. If I wanted to, there were some avenues where I could explore the professional game but I couldn't really sign with an agent because that would close that door um, you know on you know going back to IU and and I didn't want to go anywhere else but you know much like that state championship that that I you know missed out on so so very closely um, you know I was able to in the moment really look at what I had accomplished what I had done and and what it meant to me moving on, like if I were to move on, you know, what the program had done for me and what it was going to do, you know, moving on into my, you know, professional realm. And so, you know, there were, there were guys who, you know, Chris Reynolds, who is a, you know, associate athletic director at the time, you know, was, was such a mentor and a connector to me in the business world, even during my senior year with my master's program of
0: That's introducing
2: awesome. me to different boosters and alumni who, we're going to ultimately provide me with opportunity to be where I am now. Um, And so there was, there was that, you know, power of, you know, what it means to be an IU guy. And I talked about this in an interview not too long ago, just, you know, what that meant to me. Um, And it just, at the end of the day, it it became clear that, you know, I had put in four years, I'd given everything for four years of that program. Um, and, And it might just be time to move on and, and pursue some things, um, and, and shift my focus from being a a collegiate athlete to, you know, moving into a professional realm, trying to be the best at what I do, um, in the sports medicine world now of, of player development and, and working with kids and, and now seeing some of those kids perform at the college level, um, at a very high level and professional level, even, um, I was able to kind of shift that competitive focus into what I'm doing now. Um, which really helped. If I were at a desk job um, and, and working a nine-to-five in finance or business or or something, I'd probably lose my mind and, and have a <laughs> lot more time of it. But because I was able to get directed in a, in a route that would provide me with a career long-term, um, I think that helped with that process. Now, watching okay. that, that next season was difficult. I bet. Uh, but – you know, there were some good things going. You know, I was close to joining a staff here with uh, what's now Purdue-Fort Wayne um, prior to Coach Jassik leaving for Jacksonville. And so I had some opportunities that year to be around, you know, collegiate basketball. Um, but, you know, just get established here in Fort Wayne and, and lay a foundation of where now what I can do now is is tied directly to what I did at IU um, mm. and, and the people – who, you know, again, I don't necessarily probably wrap my head around what I did for the program or what we did as a group of seniors that year, but the appreciation from the fan base, from the alumni base, um, and kind of where that's carried me to now um, really hits home. To
0: recap what you did that senior year, to leave your playing days on a positive note, you beat three top five teams, okay, first first time that had happened since 75-76, and then you went to the NCAA tournament, right? So, so here is, is a reward for resurrecting the program. You got to go play in the big dance, and you got to play in a couple of great games, a dog fight with VCU. Just give us a couple of the highlights of getting into the tourney and playing in the tourney. And at that point, you know, you were playing with house money. You guys had already had this great season. So compared to the next season when it was like losing in the Sweet 16 was one of the biggest disappointments in program history, this year getting there was such a benchmark. So give us a couple highlights.
2: Well, I mean, it was just, you know, it was a goal of ours to get there. Uh, you know, lifetime goal of mine, um, not just to get there, but to, to make a run. Um, and, you know, outside of, of that first-round game against New Mexico State, uh, nobody in the in the panel of experts was picked. Everybody took VCU. Um, and, and we knew VCU was going to be a problem. We knew matchup-wise their athleticism, their toughness, their strength was going to be a problem positions one through five because Cody was going to have to step out farther away defensively than what he was comfortable with at the time. Um, but we knew it, – it, it, I, I think – all those years, all those losses, all those tough, you know, two-possession losses where we lose on the road, they geared us for that game. You know, we, we were too tough mentally to give in to anything VCU did. Um, and we were able to make shots and make plays and, and trust each other when, you know, when it was gut check time. You know, to trust, you know, Victor's going to get a steal, go coast to coast, it, a lot of coaches call time out there and they knew we were going to run the floor will ran the floor just like he you know always did and ball magically ends up in his lap and you know just that that shot that that to beat vcu and then yet they get a chance and they get an open look on a driving kick and the thrill of that i mean to me almost meant more to me personally than the kentucky game Mm. because you know, here this is taking us to the Sweet 16. That second weekend, you get to live. I mean, you watch the NCAA tournament as a kid, as an adult, and you see those last-second plays, and now you're living it. And you're, you know, th- there's the 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 fear of that VCU shot going in the air, but in in our mind, like in where we were at, it, it there was no way it was going in. It, just, <laughs> it, it couldn't happen. Um, and so that game, you know, will be one that I'll always, you know, value is one of probably my favorite games ever during my career. Uh, you know, and I I think I was one for one from three. I think I made my only shot the whole game, you know. Yeah. Played a, played a role off the bench. But, you know, at the end of the game, and I, it's funny because Victor did his rehab with the Mad Ants this year. So I got to see him. And I had seen a, a clip of the VCU game where he had the and one. To, to get us back in the game late, and I sent him a screenshot. And, and I'm standing in the corner wide open. I just told him, if you wanted to pass it, I would have made it. <laughs> just looking back on it. But I think watching that game this year for the first time, I think it's the first time I've watched the full game in, in just a minute, whether it be offense, defense, substitutions, that I was playing in that game, you know, yeah. in winning time, in gut check time you know, I was out there, whether it was to hit an open three or simply space the floor because they wouldn't, They, you know, it was basically a face guard. Um, and so to see that and, and know, like, hey, that's how, you know, my year ended, you know, we, we beat VCU. We give Kentucky everything they can handle. And, and in our mind, we're the only team in the country that could beat them. I know they lost in the conference title game, but that doesn't count. Um, and, in our mind, we were the only team that could beat them and. It, our season wasn't going to be complete unless we beat them twice. Mm. You know, we left it all on the line, you know, 100 to ninety-four or whatever it was. Yeah. Well,
1: the refs didn't help either. Those BS calls on Cody, the foul trouble was crazy.
2: Yeah. Yep. It, it just – but it was everything we wanted. It, if we would have been in the NCAA tournament and lost anybody else, it would have felt empty. Um, it, it, that's what we wanted. We wanted to beat the best all year. Um, and – and to get two cracks at them was was worth every moment.
1: All right, we always do this for somebody who spent a good amount of time in Bloomington. We got to ask you about favorite things in Bloomington. So let's start with favorite restaurant. Just favorite overall restaurant.
2: Buffalo's. Yes. Ding,
1: yes. Ding, 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 what ding, favorite ding, item? What do you order? Do you? Because some people that menu has expanded. There's a good sh- like pot roast sandwich over there. There's a good burger. Are you a wing
2: guy? What do we get? Uh, it was wings through and through. Yeah. yeah, boneless, bone in. You know, whatever whatever Ed had going for us that night was uh, <laughs> that was what we wanted.
1: Shout out to Ed Schwartzman, the man. We love Ed.
0: All right, what was your favorite watering hole to have a libation once you were a, of legal age?
2: Let's. Uh, I'd probably go Bluebird. Clayton Anderson's yes. a a great dude. I love yes. watching his plug music. Uh, he drugged me on stage far too many times. Yes. Uh, never ended up good, but he drugged me up there plenty of times. And so I, I'd go there.
0: For the record, uh, my Indiana sweetheart, who she is also from Fort Wayne, but uh, this was before Clayton's playing days, but my wife and her cover band, Jack Fife, is what Eric and I would go see at the Bluebird. Also, our favorite bar.
2: There you
1: go. Uh, favorite pizza? Mother Bears. Yes. Oh, Deep dish. Mother bears. Deep dish.
2: Uh, deep dish doesn't disappoint. Meat yeah. lovers. I mean, once I got past freshman year and realized there was bigger, better things out there, mother di- mother bears uh, through and through.
1: Although Pizza X isn't bad. I mean, let's be honest. A Big Ten special but, from Pizza X isn't bad.
2: Yeah, you, you can't argue with that. Yeah. To this day, you probably can't argue with that. I agree. It's like sex.
0: Pizza. It, it's all pretty good, right? It's all pretty yeah. good. Cause we all know pizza Absolutely. X comes in late at night when there's not really other, any other options. The breadsticks are good, but there's no comparison between the mother bears pizza and the pizza X pizza. Right.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay.
1: That's fair. Uh, most hated class in your four years at IU. Oh,
2: that's finite. Yep. Probably. Yes. Yep. Yep. That's yep. it, man. <laughs> cool. Um, or, uh, or whatever my first semester 8 a.m. business class was. That was oh,
1: just... that's rough. 8
2: a.m. That was the last 8 a.m. class
1: ever, too. want to ask you before we let you get out of here, and we've taken up too much of your time, but you clearly are a student of the game. You love the game. The game is still part of your life. Uh, we, at the end of the Tom Crean era, had another rebuild. That, you know, you, you were a part of one, and you got to see this one, which... This rebuild is not nearly as hard as the rebuild that you guys had to go through for for all the reasons that we've all gone over a thousand times. What is your um, take on what you see from the Indiana team now going into Archie Miller's fourth year? Uh, are you excited and optimistic or do you have concerns?
2: Well, I, I think I'm excited. I'm optimistic, um, you know, I, and, you know, he's done a, a great job of, of changing the foundation and, and the culture uh, and that's what people, I think sometimes lose track of the, the dynamics, you know, much like you mentioned, Crane and Samson were polar opposites, you know, coach Miller and Crane are polar opposites in yes. terms of how they, they run their business. And, and so it takes time to change that culture. Um, and, and so while they've had, you know, maybe better talent and, and better seasons than we did, it's still, you have to lay that foundation. And to do that, you have to have that core group of guys who's there for two, three years um, in that consistency of of knowing what you're getting um, from them. And so I think he's he's got a group that can do that. Um, I love the way they compete. Um, yeah, I think, you know, obviously, if they can continue to make shots uh, more consistently, I will enjoy it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, it, but, I mean, I, I think he's doing a great job. Um, I think it's a difficult task anytime you've got a change of culture in a program, um, but I love the way he's recruiting the state. Um, I love, you know, the, the toughness and the, the attention to detail that he brings to the game, um, and I, I really think, you know, they were, they were right on the cusp this year of having a, a phenomenal year, um, and it's tough when you're in Big Ten play. Everybody's good. Everybody scouts through and through. Um, and so I'm really excited to see the growth between the guys who are there this year and coming back next year. I think Trace is going to have a great year, probably some growing pains because the expectations will be a lot higher for him. Mm. Um, but I think as he grows, he's going to be able to truly trust the guys that are around him and, and the more that he can do that. And the more that the guards can, you know, get him the ball and get that inside out action, you know, open up the shooting lanes and, and everything like that. So, I love what he's doing. I love the way he's incorporating the alumni back into things Good. Um, and and being a huge advocate of, you know, the program is run by the former players and, and they have an ownership stake with them. And so it gives them a little bit more weight than just being a, an alumni coming back to a game or, you know, there's a, a sense of pride there, whether it's just, you know, several times where it's stopping in the practice. He'll give you the floor. He'll let you talk to the guys.
1: I love he that. Wants to,
2: he wants to know what you see. Um, and, and so, for a guy in his position to be that open to hearing from a, an outsider to the everyday program, uh, you know that state, you know that says a lot about his his stake that he has in the program and his willingness to do what's best for the program.
0: Love it. His confidence level in himself to be like, yeah, come tell my guys anything and everything, because I know what we're doing here is is correct, and whatever you can add to that is great. Um, I'm going to take a moment to do something I've never done before and never will do again on this show, which is to um, make a recommendation uh, of a. Uh, it's a business owned by Purdue alum. He sometimes listens to this podcast. He is the owner operator of the Hoppy Gnome there in Fort Wayne. Have you been there before?
2: We have been there before.
0: Good. All right. I I, I don't think I've been able to mention it on the show before because of the, the Purdue thing. I try to stick away, yeah. stay away from what it. We well, what are we doing? Right well, it's great food. And what I'm doing for Matt, for his wife, Lindsay, maybe their kids, maybe the good people of Fort Wayne, is letting them know the Hoppy Gnome is good food. Just try not to think about where it comes from. Are you related to those people? We, grow, or... we grew up together. What the <laughs> hell has this show become? We are promoting a Purdue grad. I'm not getting paid for this if that's what you're asking. That's worse. I know. That's worse. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're promoting a Purdue grad small business.
1: Well, okay, fine. I went to the Hoppy Known once. I got salmonella. <laughs> don't go. All right. Uh, Matt, listen, we've taken up a ton of your time. And I want to, you said something about like when you're in it, you don't necessarily know kind of what your impact is on the, on the fan base. Ward and I are gonna take a minute to just try to articulate it for you. Okay. Your career is in two parts. The first part is the basketball part, which watching you shoot from distance is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen at Indiana. I mean, every time you shot the ball, I knew it was going in. That's what it felt like. And when you missed, it was because there must have been an air draft or something. Like somebody opened the door and the air conditioning came on. But it was a thing of beauty. And watching you play basketball for people that grew up worshiping basketball and basketball players, that was a thing of beauty. But the second part is much more important than even that. We love Indiana more than anything except for apparently Purdue-owned restaurants in Fort Wayne. But we love basketball more than anything. And we love Indiana more than anything. And we saw Indiana go to the lowest of the lows that we never even imagined it it could be. I mean it never even occurred to us we could be that low. And there's only three people, players really, that saw it from the low of the low to getting back to where we wanted to be. And that was you, Pritchard, and Verdell. What you guys did for our spirit, for what you did for the school, the way you represented the school coming out of the the, the, the crap that we were in and seeing it through to the way you did is just the most special run of four years that has ever happened at Indiana. And I don't care about, I mean, I, I wanna win a national championship, but going from as low as we were to Sweet 16 and beating Kentucky, number one team in the country and three top five teams, is something I'll remember my entire life. You represented the school well and how you handled that for, that what should have been your fifth year and how classy you were on how you handled it and even how classy you are today because I would be shitting all over the administration and the staff for not letting me play. It, it is a testament to who you are as a person, your character. And it's why you're, you are loved by Indiana fans. And it's why when we talk about what this team needs, we say we'd love to have a Matt Roth on this team. And it's not just because you are a great shooter. So that, to me, is what you mean to the legacy of Indiana.
0: Is, is there still a chance you have a year... Of eligibility, though
1: he does oh. one year left.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We we, we have a couple scholarships open this year.
1: It's like that movie Necessary Roughness with uh, Necessary Roughness with Scott Bakula, yep. where he comes back for one year to be quarterback at age like 45. Come
0: back to us, Matt. Just just one more victory lap. <laughs> I have
1: I have wanted to be able to articulate what you have meant, and we tried to do it to Verdell as well. But that is what that group meant to us. So thank you from me personally and from the people who are listening to us, who I know feel a similar way. Thank you,
2: Matt. thank you. I appreciate it. That means a lot.
0: Ward. Matt, as, as you just heard, Eric said all of it. There's really, I could repeat what he said. I could use different (laughs) adjectives. I could shed a couple of tears of, of what it all meant, but to not only do that, but then years later, spend two and a half hours with a couple of yahoos, uh, (laughs) on zoom. So, so we could relive this glorious transformation of the program with you. It's really special. And I think it's really important to not only keep us all sane right now with the world we're living in, but to, to understand the cyclical nature of, of what Indiana basketball has been over the last 20 years. And that, boy, that was a rough three years, makes us feel like, okay, this last three years, boy, it, it, it wasn't as, what, as rough as what you guys had to go through. And to keep our chin up, keep positive, and keep behind the program, you know, entering into whatever kind of season this is going to be. Um, and, and it's just really important that you are still a part of the Indiana family, whether it's representing us there in Fort Wayne with the Mad Ants, coming on here and taking us down memory lane. Thank you for what you did and what you continue to do for the program.
2: No, absolutely, I appreciate it.
1: And uh, good luck to you and your wife and those three kids, man. I, I've got three of my own and that age is rough. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, I mean, it is a it's blessing. blessing, it's a blessing, but it is, it is a lot. And, uh, but uh, good luck to you. We are rooting for you, man. So uh, hopefully when this is all done, We'll stay in touch, and let's pick a game in Bloomington when they allow fans back in. And we'd love to get together and take you out and treat you to a uh, twenty-five cent beer at Nick or at Bluebird on Wednesday nights or whatever that is, because that's all we're going to. No. Ho-
2: as long as it's as long as it's IU owned, we'll we'll make it happen.
1: Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Matt, for bringing it back home. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> Who's your hysterics?
0: Who's your hysterics?
1: But just a good human being, right? Don't you just get the sense that he's just a good guy, just a great guy,
0: solid, solid. Like he just sits there. He's he's so composed and uh, smart. Smart Obviously, obviously, obviously a smart guy. It's good to see that you know somebody who was. I know he was junior year academic Big Ten and senior last two uh, years. But yeah, yeah, both right. He got them both. He didn't. He didn't have senioritis like I did. Um, that he hated finite too.
1: Everybody hates finite. It's the it's the question that gets the the most number of responses is finite. Everybody yeah. hates.
0: It. Yeah, because clearly each one of these answers, there's like a fifty to seventy percent chance that buffaloes uh, and mother bears is going to come up. Probably Zagreb. probably higher than that. And then you got Zagreb's. Um, the bars. Malibu a, Grill. Yeah, the bars are a little more spread out, but. Finite is the stalwart. That's the one we can count on Ninety as, as much as you could count on a Matt Roth free throw going in the hoop.
1: 100% his senior well,
0: year. Yeah, that's right. Well, n- n- that's free throws. Did I say oh, – that's
1: as you said, free throws. I
0: probably did. Do you know how hot it is in my garage right now? Do you know <laughs> that I was turning off my mic during, like, as you would start to ask a question – and he would answer, so I knew I had a stretch. So I turn off my mic and turn on the AC. Oh, you might have well, seen me like flapping. We, you couldn't do the? You couldn't do
1: the home office. Annie's working there today.
0: Yeah, it's the middle of the day. We got we got two children on Zooms for school, and and a wife trying to put a talent presentation together for tomorrow. So no, I am number four on the totem pole uh, yeah, in the middle uh, of the day.
1: I'm in, it's like 71 in, in my house.
0: It feels pretty good. That's nice for you. That's yeah. nice
1: for you. Um, I love Matt Roth. I loved watching him shoot the basketball. I love what he said about the program. I love what he said about being able to come back and that Archie has been really welcoming to him. It is interesting. Look, everybody's got their own perspective, but we've heard both sides of that. We've heard, we hear a lot more that Archie's been great. So I think that when you take a step back and go, What are majority of people saying? Majority of people on our show are saying that Archie has been phenomenal and the staff and administration have been phenomenal in welcoming them back in.
0: And that's unprompted, right? Like he, when you asked him about the general state of the program, he zeroed in on that all by himself. He was like, yeah, I I feel ownership of the program under the Archie regime. And yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a two-way street and and i think that we have conversations on the air maybe maybe you kind of try to figure out okay what's really going on and and it seems like a lot of times it's it's got to be an equal effort of like you know responding reaching back to the program going back to the program it's like
1: it, it's it, reciprocal yeah it's, there's it's, nobody
0: it. it's a there's nobody straight. trying to be a part of the program right now that's not being welcomed
1: i, I think that that is a a fair statement uh, really happy. Matt seems happy, and his family seems great. It's really, it's cool that he's with a Hoosier who played basketball and volleyball. I love. That. I want one of they, those,
0: those Matt Ants shirts. That that yeah, thing those Matt Ants cool. shirts are cool.
1: And I was going to say this to him, but like, he and his wife should be like, if you get married in Indiana, they should be the groom and the bride that they put on top of the cake. It's like it's so perfect. They are like royalty. Played basketball. She played basketball and volleyball. They get married. They have three kids. What better representation of Indiana University than these two?
0: I would want to have Herman Wells and Jane Pauley. That's who would be on top of my cake.
1: All right. Well, that's one way to go with it. (laughs) Really happy for Matt and his family and just love getting more color on that team, that 11, 12, 12, 13 group, you know, it was a special, special group. And we've, we've had the, the good fortune of getting to talk to a lot of them. So hopefully we'll get to meet them in person soon until then follow us on Twitter at Hoosier hysterics for the hysterics, no E, no I, but the sometimes, sometimes Wow. and we will hit you back next week.